All right, this week on Mechanations, Battle Seeds Descend, Richer Rich Academy Attends, and what the fuck is up with Duo's Jet Umbrella? I'm Ignis Maddox. I'm Steven Hero. And I'm PMC Trilogy. This week on Gundam Wing. So that's their little battle seed, all ready to sprout into new battles. So I watched the world record speed run for Zone of the Enders 1 this morning. Oh, okay. Uh, which is, I think, about like four months, seven months old at this point. Uh, done in 2417 by a runner named Tapioca, who I'm a fan of. I watch sometimes. Uh, this he did it on the uh, on the PS3 version of Zone Enders One. Although apparently uh, the 360 version is the fastest. I didn't realize that the, both the Zone of the Enders collection yeah, the, and the, the Metal Saw collection. Are interesting on. enough, the PS3 port was heavily ridiculed when it came out. It actually received a patch, and the 360 version did not, I believe. Yeah, I think right. that's right. I be- and I believe that's really, that really has to do with Zone of the Enders 2. I believe that the, the initial take on the Zone of the Enders 2 HD was they a really hot, the frame hot rate. mess. Yeah, uh, actually, Kojima personally went in and pushed, advocated for the patch to be released, I believe. Right. Well, it, it wasn't, from what I'm told, it wasn't very good. Although, at this point, of course, we also now have the Mars version, which seems to have been generally well-received. Yeah. Now... When you say twenty four seventeen, you of course mean twenty four minutes and seventeen seconds, yes. and not the year of our Lord no. two thousand four hundred and seventeen, no, 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 which no. is what I thought you said for a second, yes. and I was like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> yes, that's that correct. Is incorrect." No. It took that many years, but we did it. <laughs> but we finally cracked. <laughs> finally it. cracked it. Uh, I had one question for you guys. Maybe oh, yeah. you know more about this than I do. I haven't listened to this week's uh, waypoints yet, uh-huh. where they cover the new Rooster Teeth cartoon, which apparently oh, Genlock robot. I did not listen to it either but um so i was just I curious do you guys i mean you know whether within waypoints you can talk about podcasts in this podcast yeah. or you know otherwise what's up with uh the last time i watched a rooster teeth show was like river vs blue season five didn't so. machinima just close down it shed its sap yes it did yeah it's somewhat topical and another level too uh um uh, uh i've um i've never watched any red vs or uh uh rooster teeth anything uh i have a i don't know it, there's something about like cg shows it's de- maybe my my biggest like blind spot as mm-hmm. far as yeah, yeah, some yeah. kind of like consumer media goes like but i mean I was... didn't you watch reboot that's a classic cg show <laughs> i mean <laughs> reboot don't is, announce it... our next podcast series yeah. huh? Re- reboot is maybe uh my version of steven hero's gundam wing where i did not watch it episode to episode mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so like there are things i remember like i remember the firewall point of the show where that like transition lost his eye. Well, cause it was a transition from a sort of episode to episode sort of goof fest to like a weird serial post-apocalyptic. Yeah. Correct like, me if I'm wrong. It came back, right? Uh, there it was, was a, there was a reboot of reboot. I think of the joke you just said, but, um, I well, don't, I actually think there is, I oh. don't think it, I don't think it has anything to do. Like, I don't think it, it contains our favorite beloved characters like, like Bob and hexadecimal and, uh, hexadecimal was nightmare enzo is yeah. that one is 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 the main villain so the hexadecimal megabyte. is one of the villains megabyte is that a tony j role yes is that, that is tony yes j? okay absolutely god bless yes all right those um, those some of those characters can lurk right on through silent hill and be perfectly at home oh yeah no, <laughs> particularly hexadecimal hexadecimal right, for right, sure had right. that sort of uh bent about her uh i mean so uh, on my front uh genlock i mean i'm Curious because of the talent involved. Sure. David Tennant, Michael B. Jordan, like that's yeah, crazy. that's yeah. those are some boys. He um, loves his anime. Yeah, he does. He's he's got good taste. What a nerd! <laughs> what a huge nerd. Um, uh, I've been playing Kingdom Hearts, but I 
Not much to say. I can't, there, can't. Are there, there are no mechs in Kingdom Hearts? Or, or Incorrect. You don't, you don't, no. Okay, all right. Uh, well, don't, don't yeah. I say no more then. Yeah. You know? Big, Hero t- Big Hero 10? Big Ben Big Hero, oh, yeah, Big, Big ben, Hero 6. Big Ben 10. <laughs> Big Ben 10. <laughs> my favorite. My favorite. That's right. Big Ben 10. <laughs> um, I have not been to... See, the... sometimes I don't even know if I'm right or wrong now. <laughs> <laughs> I've not been to the Big Ben 10 world yet. Um, but uh, so There's mechs in that, right? Say what? Are there mechs in uh, that? Uh, I will property? confirm that there are mechs. I will not. I will not say the context in which you will find yeah. these mechs. I I, uh. have, I did see. I did see Big Ben Ten, the movie. <laughs> see, right? <laughs> Big uh, <laughs> and just to be clear, specifically for Steven Hero, it is not called Big it's Ben. It's not 10. called. Just yeah, Big a little 10. background. I was watching a Sony press conference at like four a.m. The TGS conference. Yeah, and I was like. I had work that no no I was off from work but I woke up I was insane at four a.m. on a day off to watch this press conference and I was in a Discord channel and I was just I just dropped Big Ben Ten. <laughs> I mean Big Ben Ten is very good and I think yeah. what I will call it from now on it has but... a better cadence than Big Hero Six. Yeah, I mean Big Hero Six has this sort of like I don't know this thing I have mixed feelings about when it comes to like American version of Japanese thing where like it, it feels to me like a like an echo of a, a sort of era of like look at this weird exotic thing you know it actually reminds- Gundam Wing does that when it's dealing with the West too which we'll a- talk about a lot yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah it, it's it's I actually just watched the movie yesterday with my partner okay um because she had not seen it and oh, I wanted that's to a good movie I wanted is it good I haven't seen it I like it it's it's fine. I think it it's it's good. It's mostly good. I I think the thing that happens to me is um one of the characters Honey Lemon um uh pronounces the, the main character's name uh like a weeaboo and it it fills me with with horror every single time. And I think it's just watching like oh, I'm watching myself on screen right now, which is why I'm I'm like why it fills me with pain. I think that's what it is. Like don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that like it's so distracting and an otherwise really solid heartfelt movie yeah, with good yeah. characters and a lot of style. No, I, I like, definitely deeply related to the um the Lucio stand-in. Yeah, um uh Wasabi yeah, is his yeah, name yeah, in the movie yeah. and he's great. He's excellent. Um there's a lot of I mean there's there's some unfortunate stuff like that bums me out like uh, Trashbag TJ Miller is in the movie mm-hmm. as one of the characters and TJ Miller is also going to be in Kingdom Hearts in that regard which Bums me out. Yeah, James Wood really takes the cake for uh, well, of course, bumming me out. I mean, like that's. I mean, like that. The thing that sucks, especially about James Woods, trash bag James Woods being in Kingdom Hearts, is that uh, his performance as Hades was actually entertaining, which is like fuck. Damn yeah, it. no, that, that's a as someone who watches a lot of GTA speedruns, James Woods has a significant role in GTA San Andreas, and oh yes, it's really yes, funny. I forgot about and that. but it's like oh oh damn it, it. yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I guess so. Uh, we can uh, transition right into our our main topic. We're we're diving right into yeah. uh, we're we're dropping uh, our our space pods containing our weapons from the colonies right into Gundam Wing. Uh, why do we uh, why don't we get started with our first summary here? I'll get us started here with episode one, the shooting star she saw. We'll get into that title later. <laughs> is that is that see she sells seashores. Yes, seashells by the seashore. Next time okay. I teach alliteration, yeah. that's the I, example I use. I, I kid you not. Note three is that yeah. exact right, thing. There you go. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, episode summary: The United Earth Sphere Alliance is tyrannically exercising its will over space colonies using military power provided to them by Oz, the organization of the Zodiac, as we previously covered. The colonies send five weapons in response to Earth, disguised as shooting stars. 
We are introduced to one of these stars, Hero Yui, as he makes contact with a civilian vessel carrying Relina Darlin. We'll, we'll get to that pronunciation too, by the way. I have so many I can't questions. Stand, because I'm watching the subs, I want to pronounce it Darlin. Yeah, Dar- Dar- they're Dorlin. Dorlin. They yeah. say Dorlin over and over, and over again. And over. After a battle in space with Zex Marquis, one of. Uh, let's talk about that pronunciation as well. One of uh, the head of Oz's specials. I should have. I wrote Special Forces. That's incorrect. Specials. Specials. Just talking yeah. about that before you L- walked in. Like the ska band. <laughs> um, Hero crash lands on Earth. Later on, Relina comes across Hero as he washes up on shore and attempts to rescue him. Attempts is the operative word there. He escapes, only to reappear at her school mysteriously. And that ends episode one. Going into episode two, the Gundam Death Scythe. Hero navigates Relina's Richie Rich Academy while working on attempting to destroy the Wing Gundam before the forces of the Alliance can get their hands on it. Meanwhile, Zex searches for the Wing Gundam at the bottom of the sea with his boys. Relina realizes that Hero must have been in that shooting star and chases after him when he goes to a military base to steal some goddamn torpedoes. Duo gets in the Alliance's way. This is way. the best Mission Impossible film right here. Yeah, really. He, it, it, on a lot of... Anyway... Duo gets in the Alliance military's way as it approaches the Wing Gundam and recovers it himself. When Relita confronts Hero, Hero threatens to shoot her, but is shot by Duo before anything can go down. Hero <laughs> manages to fire off the torpedoes. I can't wait to talk about episode two in particular. Uh, and they strike the Gundams, supposedly, supposedly, I guess, destroying them, Duo thinks, but... Well, no, because, I mean... Set du- off this... Wait. Yeah, Duo makes a very specific comment about, like, reaction force or something. Well, so, I mean, we'll get to yeah. it. I shouldn't get down up there, because that, that'll bring, close out episode right. two as Hero floats face down in yeah. the water. Is relatable content. Um, and bringing us into episode three, five <laughs> Gundams confirmed. <laughs> confirmed. 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 Uh, Hero is held in an alliance hospital. But, yeah, you just hear a door slam shut as I walk out. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone. Hero is held in an alliance hospital, but is broken out by Duo Maxwell. Meanwhile, Heavy Arms attacks a base. I think it, it is the, the factory for Leos, is what you Right, say. exactly. The Mediterranean um, Corsica base. Uh, successfully destroying it, but not before Zex takes from it a powerful mobile suit. In the process of attacking the base, Troa comes face-to-face with Catra and his forces. Uh, which brings us to the end of the summary for all three episodes. Uh, obviously, we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, so why don't we get started. Um, let's talk about, before anything else, let's talk about the start of the show. Let's talk about the intro. Yeah, yeah no. Just, yeah. I, yeah, I was going to say, it really impressed upon me this time. Uh, I think the intro does a surprisingly good job. If it had to pick one thread to pull on, I think this imagery of Relina interacting with war-torn whatever, you know, the teddy bear or or otherwise just looking around, uh, seems pretty appropriate as a metaphor for her interactions with Hero and the group at large. Oh, yeah. The sequence is uh, excellent. It, yeah. It's maybe like the most. It just it kind of figures that in the what usually these intros are about a minute and a half long, right? I would think. Uh, yeah, I think that sounds right. Um, th- they tend to be like the most artful parts. All the budget of of the show in a lot of ways. Of whatever show you're talking about, if it's one that's going to be on TV, it, it'll probably be the most you know concise storytelling that happens. Usually, they pick up a prominent J-pop band. In this right. case, two mix. Apparently, a Japanese duo formed in 1995, so the same year of Gundam Wing. Oh. Yeah, I mean, that's t- typically how it goes, right? They'll go with someone, like, like when I say timely, I would say, like, who's, like, brand new I'm trying to think them. of other ones that stand out. I don't follow J-pop, but TM I mean, Revolution's a big one. I mean, the thing that, I, like, the only thing, this will date me, 
this uh, I, I can think of would be uh, Larkin Seal being doing yes. one of the intros for the TV Full Metal uh, Alchemist. I think uh, uh, they did a Kenshin something opening or closing. That sounds right. I think. Oh yeah, they did. They did one of the outros. You're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, but yeah, it. I mean, and then apart from that, it's, it's a it's a good song. It bops. It's, yeah. It's it's a really really cool beat. I was watching one of the times I was watching through these series of episodes. I was watching with my partner who has zero interest in mech anything. Um, and she remarked how much she really enjoyed it. And, and it was the not what she expected. I mean, I think the outro surprised her more, but we'll get to that. Right. The outro is deeply surprising. Uh, I mean, my deeply only, imperialistic. Yeah, my only other intro oh, boy. is, of course, that uh, especially Hero is JoJo posing. I think we covered that in the intro yeah. pod, but it's also just worth restating. I mean, they're not. he's not alone alone in the JoJo. Yeah. But, but in particular, the way that he thinks that doing that pose hides his face or any features of his of any kind is is interesting although so mysterious yeah hero aspires to be subtle but like it doesn't work (laughs) i i'm not sure if he aspires to be subtle. we'll talk about it though um but yeah i mean there's also i can't i forget who um but someone's doing like one of these in their like in the montage of all the boys someone's also doing like a a, like a because mostly they're like crossing their arms oh it's catra catra's Mm -hmm. on the floor and he's kind of like cross-legged and he's doing one of these but like other than that yeah nobody else is really posing um it makes a great workout song like in, t- in when i first watched the show i was you know in basements up late at night listening to this music soundtrack of my life now great workout music when yeah, running. i could see that uh moving along to really the start i just wanted to note uh our, we're introduced to elements of the show with a narrator and the narrator has an opinion because <laughs> he introduces us to elements in a sarcastic manner, uh, particularly the line I'm th- talking about, which I'm sure you, you guys are aware, the in the name of justice and peace. It's just like... <laughs> a little like, sass from our narrator. All right, narrator. <laughs> like, Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, I also feel like that sort of, uh, you know, direction to do that is also really, really important just because, uh, you know, we're, for so long, we are just not going to understand... What the rebels are, what the stakes, what the stakes are, what the sides are. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I think laying it on uh, the imagery of the Leos destroying the shuttle, right, is like important. But I wish I had like a little more context. I need a little more context because they throw around the word tyranny often, yeah. which uh, rebelling forces will at times. Sure. But I need a little more context as to what constitutes tyrannical in this well, sense. Well, I mean, and I understand that they're you know. The colonies don't have sovereignty. They don't right. have political agency. Right. I need a little. I would prefer to have a little more. I don't need someone to root for. I'm just saying I need a little more context. Right. I I agree that that and it's something we'll, we'll get to as we proceed. That they really just don't care to introduce you to a perspective. You know, like all these things are presented to us basically on the same face, and it's it's tough to like other than the. We, we get the signifiers of the fancier-looking mechs are the ones piloted by our perspective characters. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Beyond that. You know, a really cool... I love pointing out details about the uh, the way Gundam communicates to us the scope and size of the space colonies. And I thought the way that we get, get to see the Gundams uh, sort of being pooped out of the space colonies and these secret hatches. Because you, right. you might wonder, hey, like, wait a second, a space colony is like all these electronics and stuff. How can you do anything in secret on a space colony? And the thing you have to keep remembering is that the space colonies are enormous. Right. They're absolutely enormous. Uh, and much in the same way that you could probably find all sorts of underground bits of New York City that people have forgotten about, probably very much the same in a space colony. That's I have a point. I also think that as you like as as we get more automated and we get more, you know, 
run by algorithm and you know the 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 blind spots of that become more apparent as you actually create that reality like i I, when you're writing it out you could imagine like oh all these functions are being monitored all the time by somebody um but you know now we know that that kind of computer mistake happens (laughs) you know like you you look over a a a feature that's supposed to say one instead of zero and you just your eye skips over it because you're expecting it to say one you know i could just see how someone is not watching that one hatch I love that opening shot, though, of the falling Gundams, the red oh, lines yeah. right under the yeah. earth. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good shot. And I it's also, iconic. I also think the uh, the music is really good here. I feel like the music uh, does a very good job of suggesting intrigue. Uh, the song, now this is not necessarily a positive comparison, but I think in terms of intent by a composer to sort of uh, create a feeling of intrigue, it reminds me a lot of uh, the music from You Only Live Twice, a James Bond film. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this kind of falling string melody. Oh yeah. Uh, so I, I think I you know obviously in this case I'm a little happier with the fact that it's you know five robots in an Earth versus space colony war than whatever is going on and James Bond goes to Japan. I uh, so you know but I just I just thought that was like oh yeah this is totally that same kind of feeling. You know that wasn't the connection that I made but you're you're right that is the like that descending string thing. Uh, for me and I probably because it was pods. Uh, I immediately thought of Star Wars. I, I, you know, we, uh, listeners won't have the chance to hear this right away, but we talked about how uh, Gundam coincided with like Star Wars and the, this particular shot of escape pods and the na, 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 like intriguing music immediately put me into like a, a New Hope sort of yeah. mindset. I got um, those feels too. Can we can we talk about the the title? I, I don't know. Did did any of us? I, I I forgot to do this. I didn't even check. Did any mm. of us watch the subtitled version of this? I did not to check. I was watching it with the subtitles, but the subtitles might have been based off the English dub. There were right. some discrepancies, but I can't guarantee it was based on the Japanese. Script. I was just curious if the 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 as you alluded to earlier, the 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 vocal exercise of this title was something that that was a translation thing, or if just one that it went with because of how silly it is. Uh, I, I don't have a problem. The shooting star she Shaw is definitely not a bad title. It's it's descriptive and it's a good like intriguing sort of mystery. Alliteration is titles one or one. You're writing a uh, literary analysis paper like fuck. I need a title. Right. The I amateurish know. thing to do is let's throw in some alliteration. Yeah, literally, exactly. Right. And of course, shooting stars you know invoke all sorts of right wish and you know like like a destiny like kismet sort of thing. You know, I I agree that that that's. That was my opinion of it right. as well. So I really, I, I want to read uh, line for line an exchange between Zex and one of his uh, subordinates. I can't wait. I, I, have want, sli- I, I, I want you to explain too. what is going on here. Okay. Uh, Zex says, a hired frontline soldier mustn't rush to battle. His subordinate replies, that's quite the bold statement, sir. And Zex says back, I told you. I am a true soldier. So, what does that mean? So I wanted to talk about the true soldier line because he previously I would I would I would uh I would counter his claim that he's a true soldier because earlier he claims that he's that he says it's something is just dandy and I can't <laughs> I can't imagine well, a when true soldier when you're wearing extremely garish like yeah his space his uh, dialogue uniforms. is so ornamental it borderlines yeah. ridiculous. Uh, I especially love how um, I believe this is Brian Drummond who's voicing Zex Marquis. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, he cho- I, I wrote he, Brian Drummond really choose the scenery. Well, Brian Drummond is definitely. Um, this is something I, I might have touched on in our previous episode when we introduced Gundam. But uh, everyone is is 
figuring out who these characters are right now in this dialogue. And I think at the time, uh, especially in cartoons, you had like, if you were voicing a villain, a villain sounded a particular way. And, and like, it would tend to be sort of like a, like imagine Skeletor, right? Like Skeletor, Cobra Commander, or Megatron, or Starscream. Like they, there's a reason all those villains have that high register voice, right? Cause that's like what a bad guy sounds like. If you think about, if you remember the Dragon Ball Z dub that Deke or Ocean did, Brian Truman's in that as well. Um, and I believe he voices Vegeta and he he does a villain voice like this, yeah, you know, yeah, and, and, yeah. and you can hear him doing that with Zex at the start. Like, especially in the, you know, I don't want to spoilers for another confusing uh, uh, dialogue that happens further, but the, the no machine gun for him line. Oh, I, I, don't, I, that line. I, I don't even know what that makes sense. Uh, like, so, uh, <laughs> a, well, because like, so, my assumption at first, like when, when we first talked about this, I think might, we might have talked about it off pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, my assumption was like, okay, well, it must be the case, and I'll notice this on my rewatch, that the weapon they use is not a machine gun, <laughs> right? Like they must have another. But like I looked at it, like I, I, I rewinded and watched it several times, and I was like, no, that is a machine There's, gun. Don't at me. I don't know how else to describe whatever weapon they fire at It Hero must be a machine gun. Other than a machine gun. I would not know what to describe right. it as. So he's, is he just indecisive? <laughs> right? I, is, I, he, is he pranking his subordinate? Well, so like, it, that's it's what it seems like. I mean, G- you know. Give him the stick. Don't give him the stick. <laughs> yeah, without, without jumping ahead, Zex does have like a very good relationship to the rank and file yeah. soldiers. So like, it really might be a prank. Like a fun prank. His buffoonery is worth its weight in gold. As a 30-year-old revisiting the show, I'm all about it. Oh, that's uh, where I glean most of the enjoyment from these rewatches. He spends the next three episodes in this seat, like talking to these two dudes, like yeah, leaning over the chair, effing with his subordinates a bit. <laughs> like it is extremely good. Hey, like, Doug, you want to use the machine gun? If if we lived like like I I want to say like ten years ago when a bridge series were really becoming a thing, like I would turn this particular image of him with his two dudes like a, a, a statler and waldorf like they would pop up to like raz people all yeah. the time just because of how funny this image is especially him just like reclining with his big knee-high military boots now oh, those boots um we at this point we're introduced to relina and her father in the civilian shuttle dorlin yeah oh boy. okay wait it's I, the space a it's pronounced all right, i have an important question about this scene. okay yeah yeah uh at the beginning the very beginning of the scene when we're introduced to uh relina and her dad sitting in the space shuttle is this a private space shuttle because like the because like the intercom addresses him like mr dorlin you know we're getting close to you gotta you know like get get sure, in or yeah. whatever and I'm like, well, what about what about Relina? What about these other dudes? And I, first time I saw them, I thought they were just other passengers. Right. And then, like, again, looking at it, I was like, okay, maybe they're like a security detail. It could be staff. They but... they should still buckle in, yeah. right? Like, you know, it's, it's not like, well, the rest of you can just turn in the paste on the wall, <laughs> yes. like get you know, get wrecked. Like, <laughs> yeah, upon reentry, they really don't care. The rest yeah. of it can be vibrated to pieces. Yeah. Um, it's true. I mean. I don't know. With the pronunciation of any of these, like I, I think a lot of this is going to be Calvin Ball. Like I think, I think as as a podcast, we're going to do our best to respect what the show, the dub says, and we'll stick to that as best we can. But I'm sure the dub's not going to be consistent with it either. <laughs> like I, I, you know, having only seen three episodes in, uh, I, you know, I don't have any particular general critiques about performances, except for one particular case we'll get to. Right, right. I um, will say right now, in terms of my, my Zex power ranking for ridiculous things he says, uh, 
So that's their little battle seed already oh. to sprout into new. Taking my good Zex lines is uh, is probably number one right now. Battle I don't seed think... is extremely good. That's exactly something you would submit to a literary magazine in high school. Oh yeah, a lot of this is just amateurish. It's 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 fun in retrospect, but oof. Uh, it I okay, and it's something that I'm very curious about, but not quite curious enough to watch the sub to check. I I'm curious to to know if the effect of that. That purple prose, as I as I described it off pod, that that sort of amateur, sort of like big way that Zex speaks it's is hyperinflated. Is it is it like a product of the adaptation company just not knowing how to handle this sort of material at the time, or is Gundam I, Wing just like this? I guess when you look on page, I mean, a lot of the characters are just super. They on the page they feel so overwrought and artificial. Yeah, but Zex in particular, if you were you know working at Deke at the time and you got a picture of Zex. That's what I'm saying. An ornamental, flowery, you know, you, his language would be very ornamental, flowery, bombastic. With, without the context of Char as an apple, and, and, and of course Char makes Zex a million times funnier, but um, if you look at a picture of, of Zex, he looks like Cobra Commander. He looks like, you know, so I can see them giving him like these Doctor Doom esque sort of monologues, and uh, and to be honest, Japanese like or not Japanese like dialogue in mech shows like this can get like this from certain characters. Like there can be some purple prose from the more fascistic sort of uh, 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 styled characters. Although we don't even know, we don't really even know if that's what Zex's deal is. Like if the if the Oz and the Earth Alliance are are fascists as much as they're militaristic but um verlina is introduced to us pissed by the way oh yeah like, no. step one verlina is mad and it's great i think that that like verlina must have some kind of meta awareness of who is being the most extra in any particular episode and her mission statement is to uh, exceed it and you know because there is a moment here not to cut ahead because we're going to skip over a space battle in the introduction of mm, our titular yeah. mech right but right, there's a right, moment right. where mr dorland's procession has arrived and they're being sh- uh shuttled into a secure vehicle and verlina like they're like oh we've set up a a, a car for your daughter and the way verlina replies like and and like the 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 manner in which she replies is so melodramatic <laughs> she's like that's okay mister i am the daughter of foreign minister and i can handle myself and she does this little bow and like it's almost as if she's outside the text trying to catch up with the text well, at times it, it, it's i can't there's like a mockery to it almost and i can't quite like i think what they're going for is like not necessarily that she's sardonic, but there's something about the way she's visually presented. And, like, you see it all through this sort of imperialistic ending sequence. But, like, she she's so intense and, like... I think it's a mixture of being intense, but also being sort of bored or over or tired of the normal day-to-day, which I think is a big... Like, that part of her character is also what makes her get super into following Hero around, which is like, my life My life is boring, but I'm also super intense. So when I see something like this, we're doing it. Well, I think Gundam <laughs> Wing's, like, sort of mission statement is that, like, teenagers are psychopaths yeah like like just like a natural sort of byproduct of being between the ages of like 13 and 18 is that you are insane 
Um, but he's, he's intense, perhaps. He, he, oh my gosh. So, okay, let's rewind. Let's take this back. We're back in space. We're back in space. Um, uh, we are introduced to our protagonist. I'll put in air quotes. Hero Yui. Yeah. Um, the hero of our story. The, Hashtag not my hero. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so the first thing we, we see him think about doing is blowing up Rolina's uh, shuttle. The shuttle that Rolina is on because a civilian can't see. Right. Nobody can see him descend. A, a, fre- a frequent thing that all of the Gundam pilots say is that maintaining the secrecy of their combat capability is paramount. It's right. That that if you see, although the way that the dub communicates this is suspect. The, 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 like, what is, I think Zex refers to it as a jinx in the second episode. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know about that because I don't know how you get to a jinx so quickly. I mean, they've, they've been around for all of, like, you know, You're taking a day. my best observations. Th- this is, yeah. I, we'll, we'll get to it for sure, but w- there is something very confusing, especially when I originally saw this as a child because there was definitely an implication that a Gundam was a thing that people understood to, to mean something in particular yeah, but yeah. upon watching it now as an adult i understand that there were no gundams prior no, to these this, this is remember when, when they when they first when they first see it it's a next generation fighter yes that's okay. right with yes please it is an i love that the computer is like oh this is a next generation yeah fighter. it's like oh look it's got uh, beep boop beep uh, next generation yeah fighter. it's got variable geometry no shit son it's got a moving arm what the hell do you expect like yeah, what, the, what does that mean? Operation uh, Meteor is the best kept open secret imaginable. This top secret mission, like mission everyone that knows everyone about knows it. about. I can imagine the Gundams re-entering the atmosphere. Farmer looking up in the distance turns to his wife. Operation Meteor. That's right. Well, so something that I think the show does a bad job of communicating in particular is that the Alliance military is complacent. And the, the people who aren't complacent are the specials in Oz, uh, you know. And the thing that's unfortunate about that, and you know, I, I don't think this is spoilers necessarily because they're, we're laying the groundwork in episodes one, two, and three, is that, you know, Trey's is planning something and, and you know, is, is on purpose taking advantage of, you know, Zex's military charisma uh, in order to, you know, not only to uh, build up a force within the military, but to do something eventually to gain some kind of something. It, we get that clear in the scenes where we're introduced to Trey's. I guess we can talk about that. Yeah, I mean, the only, the only comment I really had about this space battle was that uh, in, Gundam, oh. in Gundam Wing, there is, I think, much like other Gundam series, where when we're first introduced to the new weapon, it is, of course, completely invulnerable, right? I mean, in Episode 2 and Episode 1... right. You know, the Death Scythe and the Wing Gundam take blows, but, like, they don't actually dent it at all. And I think this is significant because it's similar to how we're introduced to, you know, the, the very first Gundam, Mobile Suit Gundam. Right. But, of course, the difference here is that the pilots are capable in a way that Amuro Ray simply, you know, wasn't or couldn't be. Right. Uh, so, I, I think that's just, you know, the, again, the, you know, the, this this emphasis on technological leap is important you know and i also think makes it such that we can also impose real life allegories about wars where technological leaps were substantial i think the other thing you know we we should actually before we move on from the space battle because we should talk about the wing gundam itself uh golden bird i believe is gold bird yeah the gold bird gundam yeah um what do you what do you what do you guys think about the design of of the gold bird uh just aesthetically I think it's I, I think it's pretty good as far as this sort of transforming uh, Gundam goes. I think it's 
It's got a great look. I think my my only real complaint is the the like super kamehameha cannon. Oh, it's like a little weird. It's a little too noisy for my taste. Yeah. If I'm going out on a date for a mobile suit, I like right. simplicity. It was, you know, when I was a kid, I thought it was like the coolest thing imaginable. And certainly if I were playing a game based on Gun and Wing, I would just be spamming it constantly right. sure. I'm a jerk. But as far as like, oh man, he just took out two with one shot. And I'm like, like that seems like a big deal. You can just vaporize whole mobile suits. Well, so I wondered about that. I wondered was that in on the while we're on the subject of the original RX seven eight and like references to that. Isn't that like an escalation of how powerful the beam, beam well, so rifle the, was? I believe, and again, I'm not a super tech lore person, yeah. but I believe that the big revelation of the Gundam was that it had mobile suit sized beam weaponry. Period. Right. Right. That you know, remember the the Zaku's? They have heat hawks and right, machine exactly, guns. Yeah. They do not have uh, uh, you know uh, beam rifles in the way that the Gundam does. So I believe you know this is something that that I've talked about before. In, in relation to the the new Star Wars movies and some of the complaints people have about the characters there, um, I, I think when you reach a certain level of like legacy in your series, like there's a certain amount of shorthand that you have to do just to get people in. And I think that when it comes to the the question of like the pilots in particular with this show, I think it's notable that all the pilots start mega experts. Everyone here is. You know, a hero is like one of my notes for episode two is generally good at rich people stuff, and and like I don't know where he got the practice for any of that. He, yeah, hero though is a fucking military savant. In the first episode, he is able to judge the speed of a descending spaceship, and based solely on that information, can calculate just how many mobile suits are stored on board. Oh, yeah, that's, that's absurd. <laughs> well, that's that's a common thing throughout these first three episodes that we see uh, both hero and do, and I forget if anyone else does it, but they just like look at something and they're like, yes, I'm in the medical examining room on the 50th floor of this particular building. Oh, yeah, that's building. right. That's yeah. right. That's right. You know, uh, we, we get that a lot. Uh, you know, also, Duo does that when evaluating Hero's capabilities, where he's like, ah, he knew the reaction speed of the Gundam or something. Yeah, I don't... I yeah, I have one in particular. Anime yeah. loves tech specs, right, though, in right. general. Exposition dumps, big fans. Well, I mean, so in a in a sh- action, in a shonen. You know, there's there's certain shorthand you have for that where you can size up an opponent based off of your experience, Mm -hmm. right? And and like there's and the way that they hand wave that away would be like the way someone carries themselves or the position of their foot here when they're getting ready to. Do you see what I'm saying? Like there's writing shorthands for that sort of thing, and I assume the thing that we're supposed to be taking from this is that all the Gundam boys, or at least the ones we're spending the time with right now, are gorilla like terrorism savants like there's some product of something that turned them into the ultimate sort of uh young boy weaponry um uh so before we get into the the zex and trey's uh political maneuvering fiesta sure sure the one question i had about dorlin 
uh, Mr. Dorlin. Thick dad. He is identified as the vice foreign minister. It seems like he's working for the Earth government, but he is maybe like in sa- on what the colony. I did are a doing. little lore exploration. Correct oh, me if I'm wrong. Imagine right, listeners boy. out there. Let me the, take my bag of snakes out. It seems fruit. to be. Uh, we have a very. We're situated in a very almost Cold War political context. Mm-hmm. It right? seems like we're that. on the precipice. It seems like a hot war. Just to reiterate, real quick, because I had this note, I want to use it. The UESA, Earth Sphere Alliance, is a coalition of most of Earth's nations, similar to a NATO, in that it was conceived as a sort of mutual defense pact, defending against, I'm assuming, that the colonies possibly uprising. Sure. And it seems like Dorlin was a former minister who's acting as a plenipotentiary in an official capacity. So he was part of a colony summit. Right. Trying to they do mentioned some, the colony summit. Yeah. some tensions. And he's working in an official capacity as an ex-foreign minister, I believe. Okay. So, okay, so before, let's... let's um... Like, for example, if, I don't know, Lord help us, but something, we have a political conflagration in the Middle East, let's say, right. and a former president acted as a advisor of some sort. A Hen- Henry Kissinger is... So, some kind of expertise insofar as, like, dealing with... The, the 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 you know the history the context the, the you know talking with the leaders that sort of person. yeah um in the future when when we're talking about the story and something that we that like our you know audience like bear with us this show is on purpose not giving us all the details as you go like there we're there's just going to be things that that we're going to be discussing that we'll probably get wrong because the show hasn't told right. us. Right. I mean, uh, yeah, exactly. The show kind of gets it wrong too. Right. And I mean, also, yeah, there's there's that aspect it, as well. The lore steps on its toes a lot. Right. It, it's it is a which compli- isn't a problem necessarily, but I mean, in a way, I would prefer a show to be like complicated enough that it, it gets its own details wrong, but it can be frustrating when. You know, navigating like like you know this question of who is he a minister, a foreign minister for in particular. Um, uh, but yeah, no, we're introduced to Trey's and uh, he's chilling. Uh, you know, there's uh, like I you know I, I I can't remember if I said it on mic or off now, but uh, we're introduced to Trey's in a sort of contrast with Zex, where Zex is on the field and he's with the rank and file. And Trace is just doing Richie Rich bullshit all the time. Like here he's he's watching like an opera. And intentionally holding up a meeting too. Oh which yeah. is the best part of it. Where it's like, oh sorry guys, I was late. I was just at the theater. My bad. I like how in this scenario they're trying to say they're trying to replace the dusty old commanders with this the new avant garde European aristocracy. Well, Oh man, I don't even know if we I want to talk about this yet because this is something we don't learn until episode 3, but like there is I I guess a real push. It's hard to tell if Trey's represents his own thing here or if Trey's is the the spear point of the the aristocracy and rich people attempting to take over the the alliance military. Uh, because we'll we'll learn later that that Trey's represents the Ramafeller yeah, um, yeah. Uh, foundation, which is a name that got. I was like, I was shocked at how early it got dropped. Because correct me, you know, I I have no memory of this, and maybe we shouldn't talk about it now. But like, these guys are a thing. These are an important aspect of the story, if I remember correctly. I mean, I every time I see something, I'm just like, this is this is an established character, right? Yes, like, yeah. Is, no, I, I I mean, that was a name I did not remember. Yeah. Uh, so, um, before we move on from the space battle, I really want to touch on this idea real quick. Uh, you know, um, we have the Gundam, the Wing Gundam, which is a, a, the obvious, like, the main character Gundam. It, it, it has that red, white, and blue color scheme. 
uh, you know, has a big impressive weapon. It it is the title of the series. Uh, our our hero battles some rank and file soldiers with it and beats them handily, except for Zex. I don't know. <laughs> the reasons aren't exactly clear to me why Zex in a in a, a, a mech that is not designed for combat in that atmosphere was able to like. I guess because he was in bird mode. I don't know. Anyway, um, hero's response to. Uh, destroying the two were those Ares that yeah, he shot. Yeah, those are Ares. Yep, yep. Um, uh, is to laugh. Uh, and in the in, in my uh, Hulu, I was watching these on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, the subtitles uh, laugh hysterically is what the subtitles mm-hmm. said. Um, so from a <laughs> from a protagonist perspective, uh, as a child, I I this didn't register to me at all. I I don't think the 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 what was being signified here was clear to me. I I probably was just like yeah. Dope. Yeah, I, <laughs> like, I mean, it was big just, laser. It was being signified that he is intense. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I, do we want to? I, I know we we touched on it already. Do we want to talk about the machine gun line? Do we want to? I mean, I feel like we already touched. Yeah. On it. We, well, do you have anything else to add about I, that? I mean, or? the the only thing I would say is that I, I don't think it gets like as far as like characters saying something and are immediately contradicted by the visuals. I don't think it gets worse than that. I think that was the biggest sort of example of that. One thing it. I will note, too, is we have Zex's speech on the one end of the spectrum, and then the other end of the spectrum, we have Hero going, no probs, in a very dark, deep voice. Oh, no I probs. love that. No yeah. prob. I had that written down. I was like, Hero saying no prob is insane to me. When we think about the uh, when we think about the creation of the show, we mentioned last time, too, creating these characters based on like one-liners, this it really is apparent in the first episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's... It's an, it's an episode two, maybe, but when Relina goes, sure am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, <laughs> that was really good. That was really good. There's, like, moments where, and I think this is just something that, that the dub couldn't help. Like, there's there's so much prose that is so flowery. And then the character will say something like, just dandy or no prob. And I'm like, wait, I'm in another universe suddenly. Um, All right. Trace holds up the meeting. He arrives at the meeting with the Alliance. The Alliance higher-ups, most of them are, like, fine with it, right? Most of them are fine. But but we're introduced to another man who's not, not, not so fine with it. His name is General Septim. And, uh, folks, I'm sure if you watched along... Is, is he named Septim because of, like... Like Septum, I, I just his voice is so nasally. Like, is that for, the joke for me? Like Septum, like I, I think like my my thing goes like septic because his voice is, yeah. is, is shit. Like yeah. it's <laughs> it's just like it is the most wonderful performance. Like I, it is maybe the thing I remember the most about the dub of Gundam Wing is this man's voice. <laughs> the Alliance is so concerned with the loss of three mobile suits. I didn't know they were so valuable. You're shooting them out in the hundreds of thousands, it seems like, based on the death count in the episodes. Well, that's what, like, it's interesting that... that... I guess it clearly represents the tensions between the Alliance and Oz. The Alliance will shit on Oz for anything. That's what it seemed like. It seemed like General Septum represented some sort of, you know, elderly military structure who are resentful of the amount of clout that Oz has because of the material they've been providing. This is the scene in New Hope with the governors in Arachno Theater. Exactly, exactly. So with Oz... There's two these two scenes back to back where it's Trey's and Zex talking and then Trey's talking with the Alliance higher ups. The question I had was there's a bit about if we had been in Oz fifteen years ago, 
does that have any significance? Is it just like arbitrary period of time? If we had been doing this longer, we wouldn't be in this problem right now. Or is it like there is an important event and I need to make a timeline? Did Oz exist? Oz existed before Trey's and Zex joined the alliance, it sounds like, that's, and they inherited it. That's, is, well, that's a question that we're going to have to answer going forward, I think. That's the. Uh, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because it was the line that I highlighted as well because I. Because of the way this show was written, I can't tell if that is foreshadowing. I can't tell if that is, um, you know, like indicating, like like you said, Stephen, you know, that that Oz was something that they have inherited or created. Like I, I thought my memory of the show is that Trey's invented Oz. That he was like the head of the right. the, fa- the manufacturer of mobile suits. He's the Wizard of Oz, right? He <laughs> another door slamming. That isn't <laughs> boy. Uh, but like, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I assumed the Rumefeller Foundation was where the money was coming from, and like in the year of our Lord twenty nineteen, it's very fun to to learn that the like the main bad guy force is rich people. Although we spend the next like two episodes in rich people land, so uh, anyway, uh, Trey is at this point in the meeting. You know, first off, we meet we General Septum, and then <laughs> uh, you know we we are also introduced to the idea that. Trey's is planning something that the alliance is complacent in peacetime, and that Trey's is going to take advantage of that complacency somehow. I uh, could imagine, though, you know, Oz was like three pencil pushers, and then one day Trey's walks Trey's in, and Zex in, in, in their uniforms, and just <laughs> we're changing things up, boys. Well, I imagine Trey's enters any room in that pose that you see him in. You yeah. know, when you when you're introduced to, or when you see Trey's, and he's just like on a stage and he's waving. And you see Zex in the background sort of doing something else. Like, that's that's how he enters and leaves any uh, building, I imagine. Uh, so here, you know, Relina is walking home. This is, she can she can handle herself. And uh, she comes across a, a hero's body as he washes up on shore. Uh, and she calls for some, some rescue, some help. Oh, those poor EMTs. Uh, so. <laughs> okay, okay. Question number one. Okay, <laughs> Is he trying to kill himself? What's the explosive on his yeah, chest? That, what is that? That was that was suicide attempt number one. That and was, why didn't it work? That's a great. I think okay. <laughs> yeah, so for being a military savant, he if you fucks have up an explosive on your chest, I th- okay. So I think this is because he has um, some uh, uh, Victor Hugo protagonist strength. He has Jean Valjean strength, as we'll learn as the as the show goes on. That he's, and I think he just, the bomb just couldn't pierce his invincible boy body, which I think is, I, I think because remember, we'll learn in General Sally's uh, a hospital that he's like the ultimate boy or whatever. And like, so I think that the grenade or whatever was set up in his suit just. But like, also, he's fine. Yeah. Because he's totally he, he gets fine. up and he just. Decks three people on yeah. stairs. Yeah, he and then kicks the one guy out of the ambulance. I mean, he are, just walked up those stairs. Too. Are those people dead now? I, <laughs> so like, he's we're, we're in in GTA terms. We're talking like two, three stars easy, right? Right. Like he beat up some some EMT workers and then stole their ambulance. And okay, but but the cherry on top of all of it. Like, as as crazy as all of that is. Oh, no. And then Relina sees all that. Yeah. And she says... And she is like, my name is Relina Dorlin. Oh, man. What's your... What's and yours? reaching out to That's him, why I think she's outside the text and, like, trying to catch up with the narrative as it goes along. So, something I wanted to bring up when, when we got to... And we're, we're almost there. When we got to the end of episode one is that 
I have decided that there is like a some kind of show running like like competition and from episode to episode to figure out who's going to be the most extra and like in these and these all three of these episodes the the amount of extra that's happening is off the charts. The real achievement is who can give a naturalistic read of anything. No one. Yeah. The the, the answer to that is <laughs> no one. Like Catra is maybe the closest to that. But anyway, cuz Really, we're getting to the peace to resistance of the first episode here. So let's 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 move along. Uh, uh, Relina reaching out to Hero after he steals the ambulance is truly something. So from here, <laughs> we yeah, I have Hero's de- Hero decks the EMTs and steals their ambulance. Yeah, it, it, you know. So from here on, we we introduce to the other meteors. Right, we we see glimpses of some of the other pilots in the in you know, battling through where they've landed, basically. With a, with a lot more success than Hero had. Yeah. Um, so I, I noted down here, uh, Duo here, which is, uh, I, I love the way that Duo <laughs> delivers all of his lines. Yeah, Duo who's he here, talking to? That, who is anyone talking to? <laughs> well, like, you know, at a few points, I think this is, happens particularly with Hero it seems like they are talking to a mission computer, a mission control of some kind. A mission control of some. He kind. referred to someone as mission because, yes. like, Zero was like, "Oh, they want me to blow up the aircraft carrier, so I'm going to go do that." And I can't tell if the other ones are also doing that. I mean, to a certain extent, it doesn't matter because if they are just popping off for the screen, like that's fine too. Yeah, it's I a mean, show without moving. You know, like with <laughs> just the information that that is delivered to us um, in the first episode, it's hard to tell. I mean, like. From from my memory of the show, I know. <laughs> Real quick, imagine if it went. My name is Relina Dorlin. Holds out hand. What's yours? And then immediately cuts to Duo. Duo here. Duo here. That's <laughs> <laughs> Duo here. Well, Duo here just immediately put me in mind. Um, uh, if if you guys remember uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender, uh, in in book three, uh, Zuko has to try and introduce himself to the the group of heroes who he's been chasing for the entire show. And, you know, Zuko, voiced by Dante Bosco, is very sweet, and he's trying his best. He's practicing, and he goes, hey, Zuko here. <laughs> and, like, the the idea of someone who is a primary antagonist for, for two whole seasons, <laughs> like, can, can you imagine, like, Vegeta, like, hey, it's me, Vegeta. <laughs> I figured I'd come join your crew. So you're in detention. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, Troa here is introduced to us and is the most energetic his performance will ever be. Something something going on with the sound there, right? When when he's talking about destroying everything, there's a weird like like crunch to some of the... like. I don't know if that's just older mm, yeah. like sort of style of recording. Um and then next is uh, we're introduced to Catra. I, I don't have a lot to say about Catra right now, but... Yeah, I feel like Catra is a character that we're definitely going to revisit upon. Uh, I mean, I think the only thing is the obvious thing to state, which is that it is he is in such a contrast to all the others because he has like a support force yeah. that he meets up with, which is... You know, even aside from all the signifiers going on, is like just such a weird change of pace. Well, so um, we were introduced to Catra and the Sandrock, and uh, Sandrock, in contrast to the other boys, it gives the the opposing forces the opportunity to surrender, um, and then murders them. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the thing I wanted to note was that I love Catra, the the Maganax, the forces that Catra commands. Uh, I love their mechs. They oh, yeah. They, they're dope. Who, uh, is a lore question here, but puts up glasses. Yeah. Um, right. Oh, 
Apparently, only Oz and the United Earth Alliance can have the technology to create mobile suits. Well, I guess someone built the Gundams, but who built those suits? So, um, with well, that... Will we know? I, I, I think so. Uh, yeah. The I think, thing, yeah, we spend some more time with these folks down the road. The thing to remember... Not that I care. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, the thing to know is... And we, we haven't heard... No, we don't know this yet, but Catra is, is the heir of a corporation. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I, Wait, real quick. Is Catra Bruce Wayne? Is that like the... Uh, that's what I... The analog Lawrence I of Arabia, yeah. I think, is, is what they're going for. All right. Is it, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, leader of Middle Eastern or, like, or Arabian forces. I think they're going for a Lawrence of Arabia thing. Um... Anyway, and then and then Wu Fei, small but mad, you know that's yeah. that's going to be Wu Fei's thing for the rest of the show. That's it. <laughs> There's you know we we joked in our episode zero about not no remembering anything about Wu Fei, but my my memory is that that's that's about it. Um, is it is it time to go to school? I think we are. I think we're going. Although I don't want to pass over when uh, Zex is uh, revealing the other Gundams uh, when he reaches over to his two boys and. Has the pictures in his head. My, I was like, I imagine they are copies of his headshot. <laughs> Let me show you something interesting. I had something there. It's like a, a stage, like a, a common stage production prank. Uh, is like <laughs> on like the last night of a run of musicals. If there's some like part of the musical where you're, you're showing, you know, someone like a piece of paper as a part of the action on stage. On the last night, you just put like you find some real garish porn. Yeah, and yeah. you just put it in there. This happened all the time in high school. <laughs> Sure. Is that like the last night of you know anything goes? Uh, we're just gonna put this this sheet of paper, which has normally been blank up until now, is just some straight bone. Just in. It's just yeah. uh, Zex in a George Costanza like pose right. on his gun or mech. Well, <laughs> well, speaking of the George Costanza, no, I, I'll save it because we'll oh, San Rocky. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. So we'll get there. Uh, so so we're, we're here at school. We're here at Relina's right. academy. We don't even start off with Relina. We start off with her classmates That's talking right. about uh, the one thing I thought was really cool. Here is it's interesting to me in Gundam series whether or not you're in space is often a big sort of like social thing. Yes, and here. The one classmate mentions that she's really envious of Relina's uh, trip to space. Right. And I'm wondering, uh, is that indicative of this girl's just adventurous or is going to space a sort of status symbol or, you know, like, you know, what is what does that mean? Because that's one of the things I want to kind of pick up on that hopefully maybe will inform my reading of the social political background is that even apart from the, you know, the, the pursuit of power and the exercise of power. Right. For, you know, people on the ground, both obviously the people at the boarding school, I'm assuming, are, you know, moneyed upper class sort of folks. But even for, you know, what what do they aspire to do? Is it is going to space some really cool tourism? I mean, tourism to places that are, you know, billed as exotic is something that is referenced in a part of the show we will discuss shortly. Right, yes. But, right. Uh, you know, I... I I was wondering about that if you guys had a take on that. So, um I think at this stage of the show it's 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 a little early to say. I just think like I not that I don't want to be a boring sure. or hand wavy yeah, about that. No, 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 that's that's a good response. The reason I say it is because I ha- I can never remove from the show the context of being one of the first dubbed mecha anime. And like so from our perspective, someone on Earth being excited about space, it seems like a normal incidental line to write. Right, exactly. And so I'm not sure if that's an incidental line from the perspective of someone who's adapting this into English, who's not being very careful about 
what information we're being told about the world. Like I, I will never forget the, you know, this is a different show, obviously in a different company, but I will never forget the revelation of Goku's father being a brilliant scientist in the original Deke dub of Dragon Ball, which is classic Bardock. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, and again, different show, different context, different. Yeah. But, but that's the sort of thing. Hopefully we'll just see more, you know, right, like that, right, that right. will just get expounded upon like that. I, I cause you're right in, in other shows that is important. And it seems like it seems like from what we're told in, from the sarcastic narrator that that the space colonies are second class. It seems like um, they seem boring, like boring suburbia. Whereas Earth seems to be full of natural wonders, which Catra says later on. Well, that seems to be like the sort of like uh, uh, implication that they're making, like something that that Star Trek started to do in in its run in Deep Space Nine was the like the the idea that replicated things were not as good as authentic quote unquote versions of them, um, and you know this is to lessen the sort of utopia to create a little bit more drama, uh, but it seems like that's what they're going for that the like the, the environments on the space colonies are not authentic mm-hmm. or something right to right that right, degree. right. Uh, so here we are at school. Uh, Relina is the uh, Relina's school. I wrote here. I have two good notes here. Relina's school is like exclusively Draco Malfoy's. Is yes. the first note I wrote, yep. and the second note I wrote was, "Oh, Relina is the richest. Eat the rich." Um, <laughs> that was my two notes for the school. But apparently, it's not hard to get your hands on a school uniform that fits you, uh, and also to like quickly convince the school to just let you in. Yeah. So, so we're prominent in- diplomats' children go here, but man, you get in right away. Yeah, you can just go right in, whatever. Uh, so here we're introduced here to Hero, a young boy who looks exactly like our protagonist in the mech, uh, who is at the Richie Rich Academy and was told to sit next to Relina, and that sh- and that. He, he can ask her any questions, and he is totally cool and I, normal. I and... have two questions. I have two. <laughs> yes. Why is Hero at this school? This is my first question. This is my second question. Why is he using his real name is my second question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, the real second one, air yeah, I mean, the second one probably has an, has an easier answer in that it is very likely that war orphans probably don't have easily like trackable names, names so sure, it's like sure. it almost doesn't matter right as far as the first question the extent to like the, the sort of day-to-day prosecution of the uh like maintenance of the gundam boys confuses me because some of them are taking a similar track we can say that troa is in a similar track to hero in a way because troa is also acquiring sort of an, uh, an undercover identity, right? Yeah. We see that in an episode two, I think. Um, you know, and and we it's we sort of get hints of that with, uh, you know, with Wufei a little bit. Like, he's developing criminal contacts. There's something going on with Wufei, yeah. for sure. For sure. Um, <laughs> so, I think what's, what's weird about it is that it's, like, such a highly visible cover yeah because i think to me you know being a performer in a circus it's probably people who come and go all the time it's probably not you know certainly the, the sort of job interview that tro undertakes does not suggest a great deal of scrutiny um i i love his circus resume yeah it's really really dude. it's really good <laughs> circus resume that she's like this doesn't tell me anything yeah. your circus resume so i feel like I mean, and as far as you know what it's useful for we can get to this scene uh in a little bit but I just, I guess it's just sort of like a, a connectedness kind of thing. Like, I almost wonder if they just had like, 
you know, like a like a playing card deck of like covers and hero who who wouldn't have the maturity to make the decision like actually maybe this cover sucks just as like no we're doing this slams the card on the table i think the creators are so in love with the this old aristocratic these old aristocratic trappings that they just shoehorned it in i i mean okay i i think the real answer is that i, yeah, I think probably the, fair the real answer is something to that like japan I, loves a good boarding school so when i say real I, I should clarify what i mean by that what i mean by that is the 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 metatextual answer of the creators wanted a particular aesthetic of a boarding school i i imagine their their idea was like well introduced to this this sort of like teenagery demographic like a school setting that could have been the show if it was a clamp production that's the show right you know and and i think that is like the 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 real real answer because like the the text answer is that it just so happens that this richie rich academy is close enough to a military base where hero can steal some torpedoes that will be just good enough to not destroy the mechs but kind of nudge them we'll get to that um the uh i think though we need to talk about time yeah i guess it's time to talk about so it's relina's birthday is coming up uh and i wish i had something insightful for this scene why are they in a v formation uh oh okay so let's let's let me we gotta take this one bit at a time let me set the table here so (laughs) so relina's birthday is coming up we've had a couple of bits of incidental dialogue about this and that's the main point of tension between her and her father right now is that her father's very very busy and her birthday is coming up anyway she decides to deliver an invitation by hand to hero yui who is out on a balcony just kind of chilling well, school roofs seem to be really important. I don't know what it is about school roofs in uh, port- portrayals of schools in anime and anime-adjacent things. Certainly from playing Persona games, it seems like school roofs are, like, real popular. It's I would call it more of a, like, in the same way that in New Jersey there is a added context to the front of a quick mart. It's I would call it that sort of thing, like in in the way that there is. Do you see what I'm saying? Like it's it's that sort of element of narrative where it just has added context to the audience it's intended for, right? Um, it communicates something about you know, like oh, these are where this is where the students spend their free time, even though I'm sure people don't. I'm sure who <laughs> like, but anyway, Relina hands hero this invitation. Let's talk about... Well, yeah, so here is standing up there, leaning against the railing. Mm-hmm. Just uh, chilling. R- Relina and a, like, flying V... A cadre, of, yeah. ...of girls in perfect formation... Yeah. ...approach, like, you know, like a military thing. Uh, one of her friends is like, Relina, what are you doing? And Relina just ignores her. Yeah, straight up. <laughs> does not give a fuck does what she not has really, to say. Completely absorbed with this process. Uh... And then so and then the invitation so gets, Relina get, hands her the the invitation. I don't believe the yeah, clapping's the best part. The in clapping retrospect. to me is the the most. I, I I mean it's not the most because <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I walk out of my classroom I just start clapping up birthday invitation. Oh uh, yes, yeah, someone right? just handed out someone else an invitation. The clapping I really <laughs> also don't. I I assume this is supposed to be like like. We're supposed to get from this that all these students are it's shallowly invested in what Relina is doing because of Relina's prestige, right? right? Her status. I yeah. think that's what we're supposed to take from this, and not that they were in a Twin Peaks fever dream, which is what it communicates in a lot of ways. Because this is not what 
humans do. Please, please come to my birthday party. It's in the velvet room. <laughs> yeah, uh, and she says it with, with her dialogue forwards and backwards. Um, so Rolino invites Hero to the party. Why the applause? So from our perspective, we're looking at Rolina. Also, like, I'm sorry. There's also, like, fever dream music happening in this scene. Right. Where there's, like, a, a sort of jazz track, but, like, the, the backup to it is, like, a pulsing, like, very airy, breathy, industrial noise. Yeah, it's, there is a, a I'm not making it up, there's a weird sense of unreality about all of it. But deeply, <laughs> deeply unreal. <laughs> it's, but in any case, it, we, we're, from our perspective, we see hands lift the invitation and rip it in, directly in front of us so we can see the invitation tear and Merlina's reaction to the tear. And then the best face... Like, we see Hero rise up after tearing the invitation, and, like, it seems like he's trying to compute what his next reaction should be, right? Like, what the next thing he should do is. And and suddenly the audience has disappeared, by the way. Like, the, the girls who had applauded before are gone. <laughs> like, and we're left in this abstract orange space. Where Lena is sad, and she asks why. And How could you do this? And there's a sharp gust of wind suddenly. Yeah, the wind! I forgot about the wind! Is, when, well, okay, so you, you mentioned that it looks like the friends disappear. Uh, after that gust of wind, Lena turns to her right with her back to the railing. And she's like looking down, but she's also sort of looking in the direction of the friends. But we can't see them in no. that shot. Yeah. Is she looking to them for support, or they just really, really do not matter? I think they don't matter. Yeah, I, don't think they matter. I, I just yeah. think they disappear. I think yeah. they they are what they served before. They were like a, like a choir in a in a Greek play. <laughs> like they just suddenly they're they're they they just didn't exist. Right? Because when, when we see you know after uh, the the subsequent exchange when Hero is walking away, we get a wider shot, and they are just gone. There's no one there. <laughs> so so Verlina is sad. Uh, and and in this moment, a hero reaches over and wipes a tear from her eye, which is it's like a real juicy one too. Like he whips it, it and like you you see a drop it's, going. It's a big move to to yeah. any any face touching. Is yeah, it's a huge move. Personal space and, and gets right up into that personal space and whispers what every girl wants to every hear. Every girl wants to hear. I'll I'll kill you. I'll kill you. And and <laughs> the 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 sting, the music sting, the freeze in animation. It is a lot. It's it is the most insane in a in a in a twenty minute period where I've characters are acting in the most extra way possible. Hero, like if there is a a contest of who is the most extra from episode to episode, like no contest. Hero won in episode one. This right. This yeah. whole no. He he he. he... He didn't see the Rulina monologue after he took the ambulance, but I feel like he knew. And, you know, it was like, all right, well, you're going to walk right into my trap yes. then. Yeah, here I'm going to activate my trap card right, right here. Uh, another thing, too, at the end of that, you also get this uh, freeze frame as he's walking away where suddenly both of them are on, like, Discs of darkness, but there's like grass on the wall and stuff like that. I don't know what that imagery is. Again, artistic flourish, but yeah, yeah. It's it's this whole scene has a very strange set, and like I guess the reason why is because this is supposed to be like the like the erm moment between them. This is that the, whatever like connective tissue they're going to have for the rest of the show. It is solidified here in this 
insane exchange. Right. There's a sort of unpredictability that is being cemented here with the final moment of the first episode before we get treated to the Relina on Safari montage. I I really want to dig into... Like what? Like what is going on in Hero's head during this whole situation? Because, like, what we're taken is what we're given is that he the pressure of an audience does not change his reactions at all. He's not changing how he's going to deliver this information based off of who it is that it's giving it to him or who's around. So he's shameless in that regard. But like to to wipe someone else's tear, you know, I I I. What, what? How old are these boys supposed to be? Like 14 or 15? Yeah, 15, 16. Yeah, 15, 16. So, something like something that. Something like that, yeah, I, yeah. I, you know. At one point, I was a 15 or 16-year-old lad. Mm-hmm. I to, to wipe someone else's tear, like for someone who, like in my head, I imagine, I'm sure we'll learn more about, well, actually, I don't think we do, actually, heroes' circumstances later. But like, you know, as someone who's generally has had, at that point, more experience than he probably did interacting with other human beings... Could the read here be that this is a situation where we have a character who, because of their upbringing, is so inexperienced at normal human interaction that instead they resort to these sort of overly dramatic flourishes? Well, I think that's a read. I do think that that's a a, a take on what is... I mean, obviously, I, I think what they're trying to do here is establish like an outrageousness to him that that intrigues Relina further. I think that's what really is if we're being serious about yeah, what's she's happening. She's certainly here, smitten from the start. It is buck wild. But yeah, let's you know, let's close out our episode one discussion and we'll we'll touch on the ending because it's it's bizarre. Um it's you know, it's a song that, that I had not in previously when I watched it not had the translated lyrics beneath it and to me uh, uh, it does nothing for me. This whole one one and a half minute long ending does nothing for me. Um, so I this reminds me of other endings uh, that have like focused on like the main like lady female character. Um, and to me, I can never get the the like feeling out of my head of like whoever designed this this whoever choreographed or how choreographed is not the right <laughs> word. Um, but uh, uh, storyboarded this. Outro sequence has a huge crush on this character. Yeah, no, that's about right. That's about right. Like this, it just, there's something about all of this, which is very like, I wouldn't call it like leering necessarily, but there's a sort of like sense of like, this is the high school girl I have a crush on and I'm a high school student. Yeah, as if he had a locker filled with images of relief. Right, almost like, and the song itself is about like, uh, uh, like a, a girl or a, a lady who is like has like an antagonistic relationship with the, the object of their affection, which is like you know, like I could see if you were like a, a an absent-headed dad, why you might read Relina's character as like that in a nutshell. But I mean, the sequence is fine. It's cute, I guess. It just ha- it's you know. We maybe should have talked about this when it comes to just communicating the intro, but, um, you know, the intro is exciting and, and it makes you pumped for war. Uh, so it, it's clear that, that Gundam Wing is not really, like, concerned with war as a serious subject, or as rather as a vehicle for excitement and entertainment and mm-hmm. stuff like that, which is different from some of the other work that we've we've discussed previously in the past. And the ending is indicative of that too. It's not, you know, think about um. Oh wait, the mess team. 
which you know establishes a, a sort of rapport between right. the team. The, the ending is just very much the team goofing off. Um, or uh, War in the Pocket, where uh, it's it's life happening around war. Uh, it, you know, and then we have this, which is like, uh, you know, my my high school crush, uh, uh you know, uh, photo shoot kind of thing. Um, and you know, from a perspective like uh, of, I have a friend uh, who who is uh, definitely has a massive crush on Relina, uh, and she loves this intro <laughs> or this outro sequence. Uh, so let's um, did we want to? I we haven't really talked about this before, but did we? Do we want to take a break here? Or do we want to go right into our discussion for episode two? Uh, I'm ready to keep going. Yeah. All right. Yeah, let's go ahead. Let's, go. let's just keep communicating. All right. Well, so hold on to that thought. <laughs> just one beat. What was it again? What uh, wasn't it? And what wild was it? Just wild beat. Yeah, I don't like it. Communication. Um, so we go into episode two, the Gundam Death Scythe. Uh, although, spoilers, uh, we, will, we will have a better name for it at the end of our it's show. true, we will. Yeah. Um, the school, the Richie Rich Academy, as I called it previously, is so extra- there's uh we open up on a scene of i believe fencing fencing yes sir oh, um uh and and this is where we establish uh heroes jean valjean uh, do, do, when i say that do you guys understand what i'm referring to with victor hugo protagonists yeah. mm-hmm. so you know valjean is super strong in les Miserables. um uh quasimodo in the hunchback of notre dame is also outrageously strong this is just a thing that victor hugo did with his protagonist for some reason uh, and Hero appears to be this way also. He um, he he has he enters into Wait, did, a... Did Victor Hugo also write this? No. Oh, but okay. <laughs> At least... Well, if he did, it would have a lot more to do with architecture and it would have a lot dimmer of a view on humanity. That's fair. Literature of the early tw- 19th century to any romantic literature, the protagonist, you know, think of your swashbuckling Ken Monte Cristo, for example, tend to have rather superhuman strength. Right. And uh, they could certainly mentally work through things at an astounding pace. Sure. Right. Any, in any case, um, uh, 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 so Hero is in a duel with this Draco Malfoy dingus. Um, I wish he had a name. It would be I would it would be something really stupid. Yeah, it wouldn't I, be Steve. It would be something stupid. Right, I agree. It wouldn't just it, right. It would it would be like like a, a mm, Frito backpack. I'm like, appropriating another tweet here. Yeah, but. Tr- Chadwick, yeah, something to yeah. that. D- d- you know, uh, Chadwick Smithers the third or something. Right. Um, He's such an obnoxious jagoff. I love him. He, he really like you know they they it's funny they they present him as like re- kind of just well meaning right and like at a normal show this would be the bully guy right like he's he's here to like exert pressure on the new kid um but in but <laughs> in in this insane show hero is a madman a psychopath <laughs> who, who just like intentionally breaks his own foil his foil to just to like make a point crack literally but but no but foiled I mean, like, again. So like Dingus, Chadwick Dingus, whatever we <laughs> yeah. we're, we're gonna refer to this. Chadwick guy. Dingus Finkel. Yeah, uh, it has. It, you know, he's he's heard about the event. Um, and how long has he been in school? Do you think like a week? I imagine this. I, is this day two? For me, this was the next day. Right. This like, is just the next day. We don't pacing's not important. It's and uh and so Chadwick Dingus it uh, approaches Hero and he's like, hey, I heard about the fucked up thing <laughs> you did. Yeah, what what does he say? He says like I'm a little like. like aren't you ashamed? He does. <laughs> <What is laughs> he? I, w- I wish he said I'm, I'm a little shook. shook. I'm, I'm a little shook from this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He says, like, aren't you ashamed of yourself as a gentleman or some shit? Um, 
And and so like Hero, of course, <laughs> like we don't know this yet, but we we've gathered that he doesn't he has no sense of perspective or scale when it comes to responses. And like I assume he was just gonna stab him, right? Like do you think he was I intending mean, yeah. to make a point or I, I think he did what he did intentionally because I, I think even Hero knows that He can't just stab a kid he, in the face. Yeah, it's just stabbing a kid through bells. a face. We would, say would, this as the EMTs are lying face foot in the face first <laughs> the sand. <laughs> It's actually every day the after seagulls school. seagulls are pecking on their yeah, backs. Yeah, every day after school, Hero goes back down to the beach and, and takes out the next ambulance that has shown up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, Hero, my next note here is Hero is generally good at rich people stuff. I believe this is the scene where he... Of course, he's like the perfect equestrian. Well, well that's... Yeah. Oh, that's great. That one girl, apparently, is just Owen Wilson. She's like, wow. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah she really is very <laughs> impressed with <laughs> That's his, a good note. I need wow. to, any notes is, like that. Is, is Owen Wilson. She definitely seemed like like into it, right? Oh she yeah, was no, like, no, 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 that's awesome. Like, yeah. Wow, he's super dope at that. Um, gosh, this is obnoxious, right? This rich people academy is obnoxious oh, yeah, as hell, super, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then so we have um heroes leet hacksaw scene where. <laughs> so it's, what's interesting is that I think. Uh, Ignis and I had discussed remembering this scene, and we thought he was modifying the grades. That's what I, that was my memory of it. Yeah, yeah, but from rewatching the scene, he actually does something that's way more dope. He's which is paying student loans. Yeah, which is <laughs> deleting the amounts of money he owes the academy. Good. Which is also fair because it's not like he's actually going to get an education. No. Yeah. Or that the education probably has value. Right. Uh, so you know, it's just very, very good. And and I think regarding that scene, the question that I had in terms terms of reading the text was is the school particularly important as in having information locally about the military or is this actually 1995 internet that he's using to get to hack into the military database my in my interpretation of the scene was that it was 1995 internet okay um yeah there's a part of me that that like could almost see a world where but like the show doesn't tell us there's a part of me where i could see a world where this was like like Stephen was saying with like a clamp show, like a military academy. Right, right. right. And so there was some kind of data here that he needed to get access to. But that's not, that's not that's what the not show tells on. us. No, no. Like this, this really is like just a cover that he went with and that now he's he is doing the final steps of covering his tracks for. Like, he, he, like he's making it so he doesn't owe any money so no one's going to be looking for him. He's like covering up like, oh, I, I covered my entrance fees and my exams and whatnot. And I think this is also where he finds the torpedoes, which will he'll, he wants to use to... Right, um, he's looking for explosives. Right, know. to destroy the wing Gundam before the odds can get to it. The odds. Um, so here we, we cut to, I believe, um, Duo. Uh, doing some some death scythe stuff. Yeah, because we had we had had a I think one scene uh, and maybe a scene right before this do a bit where we, we get introduced to these alliance water boys, the Pisces and the Cancer. That's yeah, right. and I I I'm assuming that the mobile suits that we're seeing initially dropped off the destroyer are like not Cancer or Pisces. I thought, and then that, that the uh, the Cancer and Pisces are the ones that are specifically dropped off by the uh, submarine that uh, uh, Zex is in. Uh, I mean, it's a cute little, you know, interaction where, where Zex is like, I'm going to pretend I'm weak so that you'll think we're forming a bargain when I'm actually just needed, needed you to not to get upset about me showing up. It's a cute little scene. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think the, the other aspect of that scene, the, one of the main things that these first three episodes builds up, even more than our, our five main pilots, is is the idea that we have Zex 
and the people who interact with Zex, and they are like the real soldiers, right? Like the guys who really like believe in soldiering for soldiers' sake. And then we have the other alliance military figures who are concerned about clout, who are concerned about rewards. Like Zex has that line. I the forget budget what... really concerned about the budget and military. Yeah, race. General. Se- like I, I just think most people don't want voicemails from General Septum on there. <laughs> like I think people don't want to pick up their phone. You spent how much? <laughs> how much money did you spend on alliance resources? <laughs> like <laughs> the way. Bureaucratic grid lots a common motif in all a lot of anime. Right. I mean, I think anyway, yeah. Um the the so in that scene, you know, Zex sets up like we can't deal with these guys on the level. They're not gonna want to because we're specials and we're mm-hmm. better than that. Yeah. Um so we need to come up with some kind of subterfuge in order to make it look like we're helping them out, rather than, you know, doing what we need to do, which is to get access to the wing gundam. Um uh, Duo, so Duo is underwater here, uh, or he's attacking some some battleships, I believe. Are the underwater suits cool? No. You mean the Pisces and the Cancer? Yes. The I liked the Pisces when they were transformed. Yes, the Pisces. I thought it was cool. I think for me, honestly, one of the things but that... They ugly. <laughs> yeah. The most, the most important signifier of the underwater suits to me wasn't really anything about the underwater suits. I think it was sort of another opportunity to show the technological uh, uh, leap of the Gundam and being like, not only can we do this in space and on land, right. but in fact, these Gundams operate almost perfectly underwater. Uh, you know, and, and particularly, of course, there's a hilarious scene because you, you get the first bit of action. And then, like, you get, I think, an additional two or one or two fights with Deathside doing stuff underwater. Right. And at one point, one of the soldiers is like, how is he using a thermal weapon underwater? I, I noted that because <laughs> it made me wonder, you know, that's jumping ahead a little tiny bit, but it, it made me wonder, like, they have a line for it. Like, I, I don't think Deathside's beam weapon is going to be notable for anything ever again, right? No, like, not really. That's the I implication mean... of the line is that, like, the dialogue here implies there's something special about Deathside's beam weapon. And, like, I, I think I, that's probably more just to differentiate Gundam Wing from, like, the, the rules of Gundam as they have previously been established. Because I know I'm thinking back to 08 The Mess Team, and there's a, a bit in 08 The Mess Team where Shiro uses a, a beam weapon to, like, heat up some water to stay warm. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, like, I I don't know. I assumed they, I, like, it's all fakey fake. Like, why wouldn't it work <laughs> Right, yeah. But anyway, um, they make a comment here about how Death Scythe is like hard to see. I guess like it, it's difficult because you're right. There's there's a like a first underwater battle, and then Death Scythe submerges or uh, emerges and and destroys like the battleships or whatever. Um, and that's when we get the setup for how Death Scythe's shield weapon works. Uh, this this particular bit where he shoots the helicopter is is set up for a later bit when he's fighting the cancer. Um, I mean, it's I, I call it set up, but it's <laughs> they show how it worked in that fight, and then <laughs> it happens again in the cancer I, fight. I also really enjoy the the extremely inconsistent the extreme inconsistency with which Gundam Wing approaches the need to refuel and resupply the Gundams. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like some people, it's like, oh, you know, Wu Fei is buying supplies, you know, going to the grocery store, or whatever. Yeah, and then it's like you have like a giant part of your suit that you shoot and, ex- and it explodes. Right. 
and like, oh, well, we, we have it again. Like, I mean, it's, it's fine. It's not a big deal. No, it's not. You could just say, yeah, supplies wherever he's attacking from. You know, it's like not actually a big deal, but it's still sort of like interesting to me. Oh, no, for sure. Well, I, he does comment that he wants to salvage uh, Gun and Wing for himself oh, for parts. right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Uh, so, yeah, despite the supposed stealthiness of the Death Scythe, uh, Duo is not concerned about subtlety in any part of his life, really. Um, uh, Death Scythe, there's a great image here. There, uh, we haven't talked a lot about imagery in this show because it's not very important. Um, the show is not super concerned about it. Yeah. Um, but there's a shot here with Death Scythe that, where he's imposing, where he is shaded heavily, where he is dark. It, it like it's right after he destroys the destroyer bridge, right? right exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's duo. It's Death Scythe is imposing in dark, but duo his pilot is like a cartoon dog. Is the is the note that I wrote here? Like it's so like I I see what they're going for, and and it would almost work for me, and except that duo is really just not imposing. <laughs> um, thick dad goes to work during Rulina's birthday. We cut to Rulina's birthday party. Uh, the alliance controls the media. As oh yes, from the, the radio station. Yeah, according to the government, those five objects were, were totally meteors. nothing to see here, folks. Yeah, yeah nothing to <laughs> that see. That says everything. Just don't right. say anything yeah. at that point. Yeah, I, I, that debris was... must be falling constantly. The, but to r- highlight this in particular, well, that's what my question was like: why, why mention it? Yeah, <laughs> like, why even bring it up? Um, Again, that farmer's rolling his eyes. Operation Meteor. Oh, we also get to see some more scenes of heroes' complete failure at infiltration. He's clinging Underneath to the, the underside yeah. of a truck. He also still has that ambulance for some reason. Yeah, he still got it. <laughs> yeah, Why is he holding on to such a hot vehicle? He did not. Like, literally criminally hot stolen ambulance. <laughs> not even slightly like, easy to conceal. Right, like, like, I'm surprised he doesn't turn on the siren. Like, <laughs> like for real. Because, like, it's not like, you know, like, like if they would have immediately reported that it was missing. They would have had its plates on, I'm sure, a couple of different registries. Like, I'm sure they are, there are other methods by which, you know, not to reveal too much, but I, I know certain something about how car registries are set up. Like, they, there are other ways, like, you know. it's. I'm, I'm like, do you think he drove it to school? Like... As all this is going on, Monty yeah. Python style, they could cut again to the EMTs or like the EM- the families right. of the EMTs getting word that their loved one is dead. Right, like it's it is. Well, I do love that maneuver of him, like you know, clinging on to the bottom. Of they the love chair. they revel in the espionage stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, this is when I believe Relina puts together like she was, she saw the, the the falling star. She saw she heard her dad refer to it as Operation Meteor. Saw the images of the the Operation Meteor. She puts together. She has a galaxy brain moment. Hero is she refers. to I, I wish as, she said the shooting star. I saw. <laughs> I wish she said the shooting the, star. She saw. Yeah, that would True. not that would not be sufficiently alliterative. Um, I'm sorry, but uh, she refers to Hero here as the little prince, uh, which I think. You know, at the time I I paused and I was and I said what 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 well but you know uh, you know obviously she's referring to the 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 I believe French p- literature story the Little Prince about uh, a, a a little boy from the moon who who it's this is a famous story oh, oh I didn't think it was that okay. I just thought some Gundam yeah, bullshit no 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 this Yo, is Professor Stephen Hero I'm what sorry. are you doing buddy well, this is this is a famous uh, you know I, I, to me this this it's always seemed like really smart adaptation if this isn't isn't from the sub of like oh this is what an aristocratic like nerdy 
like sort of 16 year old girl would refer to this mysterious boy of like this moon prince you know this is a very good way like i i dug it but it was definitely very again very extra um (laughs) uh oh all right yeah all right uh the little prince uh le petit prince First published in April 1943 is a novella, the most famous work of French aristocrat, writer, poet, and pioneering aviator, Antoine... I'm not going to butcher the rest of the French. Yeah, French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And, but yeah, no, this was a literary reference. I, 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 I picked up what she was putting down, but it was... It, it's it's very extra. Um, this is... The, we, the next scene here is Troa uh, showing off his circus resume, which not includes not only the actual paper resume... But also the resume of stick my goddamn head in a tiger's mouth. Of course, you would have a preternatural affinity with lions. Of course. Well, in Shonen, in particular, like and and in particular, Hunter Hunter, when when you are when animals are friendly to you, it means you're a good hunter. But I think what the lion was picking up from Choi here was a complete lack of personality or humanity, and so the hunt, the lion just did not feel threatened. It's like, oh, this is a blank slate I'm looking at right here. Like, yeah, this is not even. <laughs> Why is this tree like <laughs> petting me? I'm very confused. <laughs> Pretty much. We also catch a glimpse. Uh, uh, we we don't learn we don't her get name her name. Yet. Yeah, I've no I, um, I don't know her name at all. She's like mysterious kid. Yeah, she's she's definitely Troa supporting cast member, but right, I don't remember. Right, right. We haven't met her yet, but I know right. she is significant. Um, <clears throat> we we get to see uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Catra yes, in his Katra. in his environment, chilling chilling on Earth with his men. Yeah. I, I, my note here is Catra's men are the coolest, deserve their own show. It's true. Uh, I get sort of a a a, a Char in Zeta Gundam sort of vibe here because he's going on about nature is awesome and the people on Earth don't appreciate what they have. Right. There's. I think there's definitely something. I I, I in our intro episode we talked about how. Uh, they wanted to create a sort of synthesis between original Zeta and G. And I think that's what you're picking up there is probably aspects of that. Because Catra, you know, we're we're supposed to just pick up that Catra is the, 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 the would-be, the sweet boy, uh, you know. And this is especially communicated by the way he has chosen to... Uh, uh, prop up the sand rock against the lake in a... Oh, wait, I have a good title for that. It, All right, so... Instead of the Gundam Death Scythe as episode two's official title, how about Stupid Sexy Sandrock? <laughs> I mean, what I love about Stupid Sexy Sandrock in that scene is the um, I, I believe, keep the alliteration going too. The the the, uh, the flamingos, uh, the the birds that have perched on the sandrock, the stupid sexy. It really is giving us a, a hello there. <laughs> um, I had to tell my wife to leave the room for a minute. Yeah, right. It was too uh, it was too saucy. Just when I thought Relina's school was extra, Catra posts and rock against the lake is the note that I have here. Uh, Relina straight bails from her party. She's just like... Okay, you know, I know it's like a problem in Gundam shows that no one can stop kids from doing anything. (laughs) That's correct, yeah. You know, like, it's like, it's constantly in the original UC Gundam shows... No one can stop a kid from running off with a mobile suit, which is incredible. Because, like, don't you have, like, keys or something? you think there'd be security? You know, a, just a some code? way to do this. And I think what's like, extra baffling about this sequence is that Rulina doesn't drive herself. Nope. <laughs> that same, like, you you don't see him 
in this drive. You only see him in the previous yeah. drive. But, like, she's shown in the back seat not driving. It's right. the same car. You see that when she gets to her destination. Her, her like, hot pink Corvette or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, what is this guy doing? Who does he work for? Does, does he yeah. work for Relina or does he work for Mrs. Dorlin? Because you think Mrs. Dorlin would be like, no, you're not going to the military base that's under attack by yourself. Right. It's like, my party, and I can chase after my psychopathic love interest if I want if to. If I want to, yeah, exactly. Well, like we even see, doesn't she, like, her mom, isn't her mom like, what are you doing? And really is like, fuck off, mom. And like bails from her party. And I guess everyone shrugs. It's like, whatever, we'll just keep like, I'll be right back. But, of course, like we know from episode three, she doesn't go back. Yeah, this like, is... Yeah, this is the at, at this point here we we continue the battle uh between uh the the underwater mechs that come upon the the death site that it is also trying to recover the wing gundam. Uh let's talk about, you know, we 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 spend some time talking about the wing gundam. Uh let's talk about death Scythe. Death Scythe is very different from the sort of standard gundam design, you know. He's he, he, like he's in a way I would say the perfect 90s gundam. Right. I think his coloring reminds me a lot of the coloring that the Titans use early on in Zeta Gundam. Oh. It's, got, it's very dark with like some like red little touches and things like that. It, um. It's definitely, I think, I think it's safe to say when I was watching it at a young age was probably the most popular of, of the five. I think without a doubt. Like, yeah, no, Duo himself too. Yeah. I, I yes. I kind of bounce in. As a 30-year-old, I don't really jive with that many of these characters, but I appreciate the antics of Trey's. But uh, I bounce off Duo now at the 30. Oh. Uh, Duo doesn't do much for me. I, I think, you know, it is it, – it, and I think this just demonstrates the differences in our taste probably. Like, I, I love He's, him. Yeah, I, I think Duo still works for me because uh, actually in uh, when we were talking earlier about uh, Big Ben 10, we had mentioned how <laughs> the character Classic. Wasabi – uh, someone I relate to, and I think Duo also fills that role here of being like, oh, yeah. he's the character that is most likely to be like, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, you know, we, after the Mexican battle, we get to the the sequence on the the submarine, submarine that wraps yes. up the action, and Duo is like, okay, I see what's going on here. This guy's got this lady at gunpoint. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna save her. I'm you know I'm a good guy. You know, like, obviously I'm not gonna let her see my mobile suits. But, I appreciate like, that scene. Um, but you know, but then, then dude was like, wait a second. Like what? I thought I was the guy here. Like what's, what is going on? What is, one of my notes is duo is lost. Duo Um, is completely lost. uh, I, you know, it's worth noting even at this early stage, like duo is probably the only one of the Gundam boys who would have made this choice. Maybe, I mean, catcher probably would have, but, uh, to like save just someone at gunpoint, like, you know, Troa, we have thus far seen, it, like just it, his whole Gundam is designed around just unleashing total like there's no subtlety with what Troa does. It's it's basically impossible on his back. Um, uh, Wu Fei, I mean, I, who knows at this point yet? Hero we know has at, at taken a couple different shots at, at Relina basically. Um, I mean, Catra probably, but Duo really this is pretty selfless of him, and and you know, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not his fault that. <laughs> How how does Relina get into the military base? Uh, in her party dress that where she just boards the sub in her party dress. Yeah, yes. she just drives right in through, and the guards are like, "Happy birthday!" Yeah. No, no, we, we, we see her get out, so she walks that yeah, distance. She just, she yeah, just she just books it. Yeah, she just and, books it. It's it really the the image of her on the party dress on the sub is and 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 remember this isn't like 
Because this sub has weaponry on it, so I can't imagine that it's unmanned, right? And we even see Hero yeah, like, we, we drop see, a grenade on yeah, some Yeah, like, Hero like, takes care of a few people, but, like, is the is the implication that Hero has really murdered the entire base? Well, I think so. And then my question there is, like, Relina definitely, like, walked over some dudes, is right? what I'm saying. There's just bodies everywhere at this point. Um. So, yeah, Duo shoots Hero. The boys are very good at small arms combat. Um, small, you know, CQC. Yeah, that's they, true. They know, how to, yeah. they know how to do it, both of them. Uh, Relina yells at Duo for saving her. Duo is lost. Uh, and R- Hero demands to be the most extra in this episode. Again. Right. Yeah. He, he, you know, after taking two gunshot wounds, he manages to jump into the air uh, to fire the torpedoes. And Duo says my one of my favorite lines he knows Gundanium's impact tolerance. <laughs> yeah, Gundanium. Well, what confuses me about that bit, and the reason why in my summary I, I put the, the, the like, uh, supposedly destroying them, is that Duo's reaction to the, the Gundams being hit by those torpedoes is a is a, uh, a, a Darth Vader-esque, no! And, like, he knows they're fine. Like, you know, he knows Gundanium's impact strength, and it's like, oh, never mind. Right, it's fine. Yeah, well, it's wasn't good. Hero's plan to trip the uh, self-detonation triggers? Right, yeah. it, it so was. So theoretically, it could destroy the gun. Oh, is that what the yeah. plan was? Oh, I, I, forgot, forgot, this, I wrote the same turns... note. It's almost as if the show is reacting, like, it's Gundanium, you can't destroy three torpedoes. And then that line falls in there, three torpedoes should be able to trigger the self-detonation device. Oh, see, because the, 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 the line that he has in the Elite Hacksaw scene is about how those torpedoes should have been, I guess that's Yeah, because I wrote that note down, too, and I was like, oh, fuck show. You got yeah. me. For uh, once, yeah, you got me. You got me, yeah. Okay, fair enough. That's fine. I mean, th- I would prefer the show makes sense. <laughs> like, that would be my preference, is that it generally follows some logic. Well, I got bad news for you because <laughs> you have tripped the Gundam Jinx. Yeah, no, you're I, right. Just uh, um, so yeah, then we 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 end episode two with with Hero face down in the water. Just <laughs> like, like those EMTs. Uh, <laughs> justice. Um, <laughs> so we move into episode three. Five Gundams confirmed. 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 Um, I see. There's a jinx that once you see a Gundam, you will not come out alive. I hope the jinx doesn't come true. Please. All right. So five Gundams confirmed. We we start off with a uh, yet another Trey's doing some aristocratic shit, uh, which is some uh, target practice. It looks like he's got some kind of. Uh, Set up at his home. Do you like how uh, for his uh, side table where he keeps his uh, Skype call device, <laughs> uh, he's got a bowl of roses next to it? Oh, yeah, like, of course. <laughs> so anime. I mean, the, the best the best part of the scene is that it's just a vehicle to show how cool Trey's is because it makes it appear that he's shooting targets, but then he actually shoots a bird. Well, it feels like the thing that's being communicated there is like, Like, he is such that, like, the only target that matters to him is a real live one. Like, that's, that, it seems to be the Man's the most dangerous game. Well, it seems to be the implication there, right? That, like, he's too good for these simulacrum, you know, shooting this thing that means nothing. Whereas a a bird that he shoots, it, it, you know, he has successfully taken a life, you know. That poor bird. That game to him. Like, I don't know. It's hard to say at this point, too, with Trey's. Well, he, the, um... The old school generals do say, you know, Trey's is obsessed with battle. He just lives for battle. 
Right. Like that. The, there's some kind of like almost intellectual sort of approach that he has to the concept of warfare. And, and like the other generals seem to regard that as a, a dangerous thing. And you know what? They're right. I agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I agree with them. There, that's that's a, a scary thing about a person. Uh, these conversations between Trey's and Zex are like super flirty to me. Like there, there's something. There, uh, there's a line. I didn't write it down, but the Trey's gave great emphasis. To, it was just beautiful. It's, it's, it's very, very flirtatious. And like, you know what? Whatever. That's of, of, like, this is not a criticism of those things. That, that's awesome. I, I think there's an aspect to that character that like. He speaks to everybody that way. Like, he, he just... And I think there's something... There's some truth to that. There's a certain amount of truth to, like... A, a man who looked like Trey's, with Trey's money and Trey's context, who also spoke to everyone like he wanted to sleep with them, would find success, you know? Like, this is the sort of thing that does help you on an upward trajectory in society. Um, uh, we talked about this previously, but Zex has a strong relationship with the Grunts. Um, this is... In the third episode, we yet again hammer in that Zex is among the rank and file. If you're an episode of Zex, he tells you your name. You say, I'm going to go into battle for you. You're dead. And then you die. Yeah, yeah that is correct. <laughs> this, this is the That's third. a reoccurring motif. We should name that. I don't know what we name it. I, I, I mean, you know, it, it's hard at this point because I think what we're seeing here is um, iterations on the Amaro Ray. I jumped into the mobile suit and I and I successfully defeated my opponent, but I did it in such a way that it sucks for me in the long run. Right, I think. Right. I mean, what you see is that I think all of these boys are entering into a Zex spiral. Maybe. Is that... <laughs> What's his name? Walter. Oh, you mean the boy in this one? The yeah. the the Aries boy? I don't know. Uh, the the um, Goober. This is the this is the boy who introduces Zex to the talkies. Um, but I I don't remember. I don't know, George, Greg. It definitely wasn't George. Chalm. <laughs> uh, we can call him Chalm. This poor uh, guy. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. As we speak, his family is going to be alerted to his death, and we're just fucking his name up. Well, because uh, I guess, uh, uh, the, does the show want us to think that Walker, that Walker is <laughs> admirable? Like, do do we, the audience, are we supposed to, this is a real question, are, are, do we think that Walter is like admirable for for saying like i am a a red shirt i know i'm a red shirt and i'm ready to fulfill my red shirt duty and if i do that is good my read on it would be that because of how much the show emphasizes uh aristocracy and the influence of aristocracy the willingness of a pawn to be a pawn for the aristocratic is in fact a bad thing yeah okay i would agree i tend to gravitate to the characters just for their more naturalistic reads and they actually show more personality than the entire principal cast yeah i agree these these separate guys these these one-shot guys i agree have the 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 like the space to say words that mean things um and not necessarily be delivery devices for drama Mm -hmm. in the same way um i think we could say like definitively that gun and wing is a soap opera yeah 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 I mean, I I would say that in episode zero, we we more or less covered that one. It's daytime TV. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's which isn't necessarily a criticism. Well, I, I'll tell you what though, the 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 uh, uh, like extended drama, the the uh, sort of expanded drama, I guess is a better way of putting it, definitely makes it more intriguing for people who aren't into the aesthetic. 
Yeah. Like I, you know, this I we're this is jumping ahead a bit, um, but I, you know, I previously talked about watching this with my partner. Uh, uh, my partner has found it much easier to get into this show than than any other mech show and and i think i mean part of it is the insanity like uh, let's get that out of the way like it, it is if total if, absurdity if the insanity wasn't here gun and wing would be a slog to get through yeah it would not be interesting especially because of the structure mm-hmm. the structure of the storytelling is such that we like oh, it moves at such a gl- it's it's gundam it's gundam it's gonna move at a glacial pace but my god there's so much excess well it, it's it's interesting because like also the story is not told to us in a linear fashion at all like we we this third episode is the one where we learn who Trey's and the specials are and what their relationship is to the rest of the military and, like, why they have this antagonistic relationship and, you know, what Trey's would gain from, let's hypothetically say, exercising some sort of coup d'etat, you know. Um, uh, a a Trey's... A- Fuck. I was gonna say a trace to time. I was gonna say a coup well, I mean, <laughs> the the. Uh, I mean, like in case they they are be betrayed yeah. by him. Yeah. Like Kushinada, what a wonderful phrase. <laughs> it, it means no worries for the rest of your. That's why trilogy, the rest of your trays. For the rest of your trays. Um, trays would be beaming if you hear that. Right. right now. No, I'm sure. I'm so sure. in this next scene where Duo is on the payphone, um, is great. Um, is he? Is he speaking in code, or is this adaptation silliness because he has a scythe in his robot? Because he's talking about weeding, well, it's threshing, both. threshing. It's both, right? Right, yeah. Of course. I mean, of course he's using code words. He's not actually going to go thresh some wheat with someone later? No. <laughs> that would be great, though. If I could get that scene where, like, Death Scythe is just out there, like, <laughs> industrial threshing. Like, oh, thanks, guys. I, you know, I'm glad I could help you out, <laughs> yeah. you know. This has been good for both of us. <laughs> um, but this is, I, you know, I, I didn't realize it would be so soon. This is when we're introduced to Major Sally, uh, Alliance Major uh, uh, Sally, who will be a recurring character. Um, I <laughs> There's something of the, about her name just being Sally that, yeah. that strikes me as like, like, like a made-up name. Like, we just named this character Sally. Yeah. Um, but it really is, you know, in her sub, he's referred to as Sally as well. Sally refers to Hero as a handsome young man to Relina. Yeah, uh, failing the Bechdel test right off the bat. Let's chill. Let's <laughs> chill, Sally. I mean, the Bechdel test in many ways is like the bare minimum, but even still, like, great job, guys. Um, boys, boys, boys. <laughs> have you considered shipping? <laughs> then I thought that maybe Major Sally, well, all right, she's, you know, stealing herself together. I'm talking to this teenage girl. What do teenage girls like? Right. I, I, but I clearly think- it's, and you know. I, I, I think it could be hand waves for sure. I think, or not hand wave, but explained. Cause I fucking A, if I was in Sally's position and I'm like a military officer and I have to talk to not like, aside from the fact that Relina is psychopathic is, is, you know, uh, basically uh, like uh, operating on a level beyond normal humans. Uh, I wouldn't know what the hell to say to Relina. <laughs> does, does Relina at some point during this sequence think that, hero could possibly be alliance military that that so that was her that was her read right she thought that he he was a secret alliance military i mean yeah because i mean at this point she doesn't know what else he could really be except i don't know why she would think that an alliance person would be infiltrating an alliance military base to steal alliance military weaponry but you know whatever she's 16 or whatever like i wouldn't figure it out either um 
So at this point, Hero is being held at this Alliance hospital. He's on a, a Xenogears style uh, crucifixion. Bag. Still bleeding. <laughs> yep. Also, interesting to note, you know, Japanese or, animators are okay, fine. Okay, 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 okay. Wait, 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 well, wait, 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 wait. Well, wait. about that, because yeah. he is bleeding, but I yeah. think the implication there is not from the gunshot wound. I think he's doing, he's loosening his bond by, like, hurting he, himself. He does that later, though. He's yeah, bleeding does he do that later? Because I know there's definitely the shot of the broken wrist restraint. Yeah. When <laughs> Duo's like, how do I get these restraints off? And Hero says, uh, just give me the knife. I can do it. And just, like, cuts it right away. Duo, you had a knife. Yeah, what, what's, yeah. what's the matter, Duo? Why couldn't you get him off? But but no, let's not let's not let Duo off the hook yet either, because yeah, Duo yeah, yeah. says something totally insane okay, in this okay. scene coming up when he's like, du- he tells Duo like so so Duo appears on the screen yes, and is and yeah. is lip flapping right. at him because Duo has put together that he is also a terrorism ubermensch like he is right and can probably read lips and he also determines that. Hero is good at acting, which to him involves yes, controlling his breathing and brainwave patterns. Yes. Now let's let's <laughs> let's talk about this Yo, for like a half second. I often prevent my brainwaves from increasing to, to full people. I, I just okay. So <laughs> I just don't know what any of that means. Like okay, I I don't. I'm certainly no expert when it comes to what is even being like measured when you're looking at brain waves. I, I, I when you say brain waves, I have an, a, a some understanding of what that means. That's the first thing they teach you in acting class. Control it's, your it's control- keep your brain waves under control. Yeah, goddammit. it! <laughs> I remember um, my my method acting uh, yeah, coach yeah, taught yeah. me that. Um, <laughs> George Lucas taking Harrison yeah. Ford aside, faster and more intense, and keep your fucking brainwaves yeah, under control. Control your goddamn brainwaves. Good, good old Billy Brainwaves Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brevity is the soul of wit. Also, control your brainwaves. <laughs> um, so yeah, so duo. Uh, at this point, Relina introduces herself as as uh, uh, Foreign Minister Darlin's disobedient daughter, which I thought was a great line, but also like. Adults clearly have no idea how to treat Relina. Yeah, at all. yeah. It's it's actually I think it's one of Relina's sort of more clever moments that she's just like she's clearly putting on being a tempestuous teenager, even though she is a tempestuous teenager, and it works right. on Major Sally. There's something about the way in which Gundam protagonists are portrayed as manipulative that to me is like deeply alarming like yeah it, it really betrays some kind of like i would almost say paranoia on the part of the like people who wrote this insofar as like what children are capable of in when it comes to like being mindful about manipulation like i don't I, again you know like uh, formerly a, a teenager like i don't even like 14 years ago or whatever um i don't remember being this mindful about manipulation. Like, I just don't think I, I yeah, I'm not saying that teens can't be right. I mean, I've had my moments of dishonesty as a teenager. My brain uh, waves were out of control. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me. When, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying teens are incapable of dishonesty. That's not the, but what I'm saying is that there's a, there, there's a certain amount of agency and, and like intellectualism that's going into 
the choices to manipulate. I mean, honestly, I'm speaking here more of a character from another show than, than Relina, but mm, sure, it's still sure. something that is like crazy that, that seems to, cause other Gundam shows are like this too. Yeah. Like, no, 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 definitely. I, I think you can look at any, any of the Gundam shows that any of us are familiar with and you can point to moments of the protagonist being willfully manipulative. It, it's, it's bizarre, but, um, uh, duo, so duo and, and hero break out of the, 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 uh, hospital. Can I pause for a minute? Sure. Duo's Mary Poppins umbrella. Incredible. What, what is that? Great. No, great, great. <laughs> it's just great. I love how he goes, all right, I'm going to get the parachute for Hero. I'm going to take this ridiculous Mary Poppins umbrella. <laughs> this, this jet umbrella that he's got. That little sprinkler that's going off. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. At it's first, like... I wrote in my notes, all right, Duo has a parachute. Then I had to cross that parachute. What is this? <laughs> you had to cross out parachute. And I wrote, oh. quotes, umbrella. It's you know what's funny about it to me is that like and and this is honest to goodness truth the first time because I watched these three episodes more than once the first time I watched this episode I it didn't even occur to me I did not notice this bizarre device do you <laughs> think do you think it would actually be effective as an umbrella <laughs> well like if you held question. it above you would it, would it spin fast <laughs> enough to like vaporize all the water well my concern in that. In that case, if if it's spinning fast enough and producing enough thrust that it's it's slowing your fall in that regard as it spins, my concern would be that if you're just on the ground and activate it, it just shoots out of your hand. <laughs> could you <laughs> could, could you use it like a swing set to like traverse? Like so you're just kind of like he has like you know like like a like a puts like a you know like a swing seat on the bottom or something right. and like hooks onto it and just like throws his weight backwards and forwards <laughs> to, to kind of like you know just you know you know cross over a river or something well, right I imagine it's if a you spy were... device it's a it's a cool gadget is what it is in the text if you're a Rico Rodriguez type right. and you've yeah. got some some uh, some zip lines to like <laughs> I feel like you could use that really well. Oh my god! I love the espionage shenanigans. That oh, that yeah. ages for me. That that's what I like mm-hmm. in retrospect. Oh sure. I mean, like, the, I'm glad you pointed it out because it really is like a sort of throwaway piece of tech that will never be named or like explained, and and I'm sure we'll never see again. Right? Like, because because they're breaking out of the hospital, and and I noticed the second time I watched it that Duo's got like what appeared to be like a crutch, like a techno crutch. That he was holding in his one hand, but is revealed to be that that jet umbrella device. Okay, so I missed this because for some reason I didn't put it in my notes. But there's a really, really weird Easter egg. And I tried searching about this Easter egg on the internet. And one of the problems I had in searching on this is that... And I know we've discussed this in the context of researching history on things in these shows. Is that we're really often interested in the, the what and why of the artist, of the writer, right. of that, more so than sort of an in-universe lore explanation. Right. Uh, early on, when, when Major Sally and the, the dude in the booth are talking, they're going over sort of like a scan of Hero's body. Yeah. And there's a big honking block of text that overlays the scan. Uh-huh. And that the text... Twain. Yes, that text is a readme, is a genuine article readme file for a thing called Twain. Twain is a type of API that allows scanners to directly talk to um, image manipulation programs. So this was in particular Adobe Photoshop's Twain plugin. Interesting. Uh, And so when I first saw it, my initial take was that whoever was doing this just 
copied a block of nonsense text that they had on hand and that suddenly was my take as well creative people would have photoshop around in the 90s sure. not surprising yeah it'll be early photoshop though it's well it, twain's been around since the early 90s so right. it is it makes sense it's not like they were predicting something you know like twain's been around since like 92 or 93 or something uh, and so th- that's there. And that was my take was that it was just like, well, we got to throw something up there. Sure. This is a you know Japanese language show. Like, who gives a damn? Uh, when I searched it on the internet, because it's easy to search something like that, Twain, Gundam Wing, whatever. Sure. Uh, a lot of the fan writers uh, seem to assume that this is like an intentional Easter egg. Oh, no. Uh, and there is one thing they allude to as happening in episode eight, which... I think actually supports that reading more than my reading. Oh, okay. There's apparently there's a Does dish- Mark Twain appear? No, there's Samuel a Samuel Clements. There's additional references to contemporary 90s computer technology in the show. Oh. So that does support that take. Normally I would be like, no, don't assume it's an intentional <laughs> Easter egg, you dingus. <laughs> Ding-dongs. But uh but I, this is something we'll come back to. Interesting. Yeah. But but yeah. That. Yeah, so that block of text is, is a real readme file for an Adobe Photoshop plugin. Uh, and there's going to be episode eight, so it won't be it won't be next uh, our next episode, but I think the episode beyond that will revisit this. So, um, hero and duo explode the wall of the hospital, uh, and they jump out. By the way, this is, I guess, supposed to be like a secret escape, but right as we previously discovered, uh, duo does not care for subtlety, and you know does not employ it to the point where he yells Geronimo. When they jump out of the fucking building, which, like, you know, I, I I don't know if the show knows this yet, but I guess Duo being American, that's where he picked up the Geronimo thing. Um, <clears throat> uh, Hero makes no sense. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, because, so, he, he, he shot the mechs with torpedoes, and... But they didn't blow up, or or. But I don't know if he doesn't know that. Does he assume the self destruct stuff turns on? I I imagine that he must have assumed because he that doesn't he, know that Duo's disabled the the self destruction. Because otherwise, why why is he trying to die? Because his mission wouldn't be complete with the Wing Gundam intact, right? Like the like his whole thing is like, oh, I destroyed the mech. So now I can, this is the end of my mission or whatever. Um, until, of course, he hears Relina's voice and that triggers something in him that, that prevents him from, from dying there. Because, of course, he's the ultimate boy and is immune to mountains. Right. Um, but, so, like, what, I don't think you boys have this answer for me, but what, what, what was that? Like, what? It's so fraught with contradictions that it's so difficult to parse out. Yeah. I- it is like you know one of the things that that is like shocking about watching Gundam Wing after our our initial attempt at recording this podcast with with War in the Pocket is like how little care they have in the storytelling. Like it's it's War in the Pocket was so deliberate in every single aspect of it, and this is like the least deliberate storytelling i mean like, I, I think the only thing i can say about how whether or not it's deliberate is that i think they're so eager to me- communicate this idea of uh hero's willingness to suicide and self-destruct right uh that they are willing to just br- hand wave away other things to keep communicating that 
So I so you know dial that we talked about this previously, but Duo's dialogue here also doesn't make any sense. He's, he yells at him. He's like, "Well, if you're gonna commit suicide, do it in a way that I won't think is yucky." I think is the implication. Yeah, here. no, I, I would agree because he yeah. has a line about how he's gonna have nightmares about this, which I thought was very relatable. Uh, he's not so much like sorry that he's about to watch a human die, as much as it's like the idea of watching a, a body be crushed against the rocks is gonna be nasty for him in the future. I thought that was, you know, not empathetic, but relatable. Right. Uh, And that brings us to a a big lore dump, I think. Yes, it does. Uh, I was thrilled. Like, thank you. Yeah, for real, though. I I have a lot to talk about with this lore dump. I think this is a question that we might have discussed briefly pre-pod, but are Oz and specials the same thing? So you want me to, I, I wrote it down just to reiterate so this is the narrator yeah, here. Yeah, please write it. Really read this for us. I'd love this. The special mobus, mobile suit troops, known as the Specials, made great progress within the military of the United Earth Sphere Alliance in the expansion of armaments. However, there are many who disliked and distrusted the Specials. Uh, Colonel Trey's Kush Renata, and this is why I go a little off script, aristocratic founder of the Specials. He's an official in the mysterious Romafeller Foundation. I want to say instinctually say Romafeller as well, but it's pronounced Romafeller in the show. Romafeller. Financially backed by royalty and aristocrats. Uh, the spe- this is now me here. The Specials supply mobile suits to the Alliance and have begun instructing the Combat Army Corps. So, to answer your question, I think they are the same, but... When we're referring to the specials, I think we're referring to specifically the military, yeah. the members of the military who are aligned with the Rommafeller Foundation, who are also supplied by Oz. I believe okay. Oz is the manufacturing arm right. that create. I believe from yeah. my episode three understanding of this plot, uh, I believe that is the case. That the specials represent like Zex and Zex's team, mm-hmm. who, who are particularly aligned with Trey's and Oz and, you know, like it's almost like TNG fans might remember uh, the episode um, First Duty where uh, Wesley is part of a team of students called Red Squad or whatever. I actually think Red Squad's a different thing. But in any case, that sort of strikes me like like just a group of people who happen to be aligned outside of the military in this way but would otherwise be normal military leader uh, members if not for the outside context of the Ramafeller uh, uh, Corporation's money and Oz producing the actual mobile suits that the Alliance uses. Um, but, I mean, it really was like a breath of fresh air. Like, think, fucking, finally some some context, you know, of, of like, who Trey's is. Like, he's so... We, we've spent all this time with Trey's and Zex and to to the point where... Almost, they seem like protagonists. They seem like, it, it, as far as the story is concerned, they're, they're not really active forces against the Gundam Boys yet. And really, the, the show hasn't done a lot of work towards making the Gundam Boys our protagonists, really. Like... The, the I find it very hard to empathize with the five Gundam pilots. Well, I, so, I mean, at this point, the show hasn't given us any reason to. Other Not to say I'm empathizing with the Trey's and Zex either. Right. I mean, in many ways, the, our, the main character is, is Relina. Like, definitively, definitively Relina. Like, no. Relina is... Not Walter? <laughs> Walker, I thought his name was. Wait, oh, shut, fuck. <laughs> Shucks. Um... Uh, but yeah, we finally, we get some, I referred to it as rushed because to me it was like, uh, it's Walker. This, this definitely should have been, 
And I don't know how you deliver all this information outside of sarcastic narrator. Like, sarcastic narrator is the cleanest way to just tell us this. Like, I don't know if I would have wanted General Septum being like, you and your specials are only recently <laughs> joined the United military forces. Like, you know, I don't know if that's what I wanted instead. Um, Real but- quick, so the fact check, a uh, lore check here. So the Romerfeller Foundation, um, what are we working with here? I, I'm asking you guys. I'm not. I legit, does I legit, anyone have any idea? It seems I mean, like they're, they're they're aristocrats. It's the the Illuminati. I I think uh, it's the Illuminati or the yeah. or the Koch brothers. Right. I think is yeah. what really like. Or I like, think on, on the creators' parts because they're obsessed with they're kind, they're superficially obsessed with Western history. Right. So it could be a play on the Rothschilds family, which is a little problematic oh, too. Oh boy! You're yeah, you're right. Yeah. If it's a, oh. if it's a sort of globalism adjacent type conspiracy and i don't think it's theory. anything malicious on their part all right japanese Actively creators are sure. yeah. obsessed with loosely western history if you take a look at valkyra chronicles for example the sure. first example that comes to mind uh the darsen being an analog for the jews in europe code gas has aspects of this as yeah well. and sometimes they accidentally walk into it without even realizing it right for but sure but this is not we're not saying this is like an attack on titan situation no certainly not i i would hope not right no. Um, but you hear, you know, the Romafellers, you know, knee-jerk reaction. It's probably an insidious organization that has its hands oh in one too boy. many things. God, this is going to – that's going to bum yeah, me I'm out. I'm sorry. This is 2019. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. This is yeah. going to bum me out in the future reads of, the, of this show because that didn't – you know, that's just me not connecting dots. But you're right. It's a total – god damn it. Anyway, uh, you're right though. I also get the impression that they're they're using um, – like, like for example – trappings rather uh, than – G- uh, Commander Bonaparte, Bonaparte. actually from Corsica. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is this, G Gundam? <laughs> I-, I do like that Commander Bonaparte. The dirigible he commands yeah, is hysterical. So, so, some of the stuff that we touched on was kind of funny because he was like, look, guys, the point of having you know military technology is not just to look for an excuse to, to blow people he up. He kind of makes sense. He yeah. Kinda, yeah, he's probably the most like responsible adult if that I, we've met so far I in the show. If I politically aligned with anyone, it would probably be the old guard of the Alliance at this point. That's right. what it seems like. Yeah, I mean... Because they're like, yo, guys, let's chill out. Yeah. Like, well, and, you know, and, you know not, to, not to bring us back to the conversation we were having previously yeah. about the context. Finally, we have some context. Right. But it was at this point watching with my partner when she asked me, who are we rooting for? And and you know, I, and I had to, to to kind of turn to her and say, I don't know. We are like, we are rooting for fashion and style. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, at this point, the show seems more concerned with uh, providing us with a collection of perspectives rather than having us align ourselves with any of those perspectives. It seems like it seems like there is less of concern with the ethics of this conflict and more of a concern with style I, I think that is fair to say um and so yeah we we have the the leo factory we're introduced to the the tall geese real um, quick question sure all right uh earlier in the episode with uh wu fei he is not attacking <laughs> the corsica base he's in the indus region uh, india yeah, right and he's i don't know blowing up a supply depot yep all right yeah, so I didn't get that at the first two watch, third watch. I was like, okay, this is where Wufei is, right? And, right. Ha- and how does Zex know that the Gundams will be attacking the Corsica base? Just instincts. I so without this to me was again more like sort of like Shonen style shorthand of like I, I think the implication is that 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 Zex's military prowess is such that uh, looking at a map of like here's where the stars landed, here are the nearest. Alliance military structures. 
I believe he's just putting two and two together and just... That's what I assume, be, too. Because he's Zex, and like this is like the logic of the show we're setting up, is that Zex is, as he put it, a true soldier. Uh, he he is able to make these calls preternaturally. Um, uh, but yeah, we, we're introduced to, I guess, should we talk about Heavy Arms? I, I guess this is really, in a lot of ways, our introduction to... And I guess we could talk about Sandrock, too. Right, right. Um, uh, you know, we talked about... Uh, uh, Death Scythe being different for um, main mainline Gundam design. Heavy Arms is so much different from what we would typically. He reminds me more of the um, what are they called? Gunbuster? No, that's a different series. Uh, what are the 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 um, one year war? Uh, the mobile suits with the the twin cannons. Oh, on uh, the, the gun cannon. Yeah, gun cannon. It reminded yeah. me of the gun cannon in its color scheme. A right. Bit. Um, no, yeah, got the orange. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good that's a good comparison. I think the. Uh, Heavy Arms is really weird to me because I feel like Heavy Arms relies very much on sort of old technology. He's got a lot of bullets. You know, when everyone else has, like, beam weapons. It's a lot of guns. Uh, he's got a, a big knife when, you know, other people have, you know, again, beam weapons. Point. Yeah. Uh, so the sort of, like, the the Heavy Arms being this sort of, like, like overwhelmingly retro sort of thing, like kind of a kind of a compact war machine uh is we is weird to me i think it's a, it's a fun you know flavor so yeah. should we discuss it's something is most apparent with sandrock so a lot of what what defines these these gundams as separate from each other is largely the the weapon that they wield um and it's interesting and i, I say interesting when maybe i mean probably bad that that none of the gundam designs mean anything so and, and what i mean by that in particular so like Duo might be the only, and maybe unfortunately Wu Fei, may, maybe the the exception to this because Duo he he does have w- what with the the sort of like the the black clothes that he wears and the the sort of like Reaper sort of in, the thing that he's got going on that he does have some sort of relevance with his Gundam design, but like like Wing. Uh, uh, there's no nothing that that tells us about Duo necessarily. Um, uh, heavy arms has n- tells us nothing about Troa really, or his preferences, or his like. This is a, a complaint that I have with with other with Shonen series like like JoJo's Bizarre Adventures stands, for example. The stands tend to not really relate too much to the characters in a, in in a way that is to me a little bit frustrating because the idea is that they're supposed to be developed by the character or represent their psychology in some way. This is something that Hunter Hunter does really well is that it informs the characters with their powers. We'll put in this case, like, you know, obviously the powers in this case are military weapons and like you wouldn't design a military weapon to represent a, a personality, but this is maybe one of the problems with Gundam wing is when it, when it comes to its stylistic approaches, is that these are military weapons we're talking about? Even though in this case the five Gundams are basically like yeah special I mean, terrorism guns. I mean, I think but... the, the and the only thing really is that the uh, the closest you get, and this is you know maybe worse than nothing, is that some of the Gundams are invoking the national origin illusions. Yeah, the, particularly Shenlong and Sandrock. Shenlong is is particular what I was referring to when it comes to like unfortunately because it's that one almost feels stereotyped. Like that right. one feels Shenlong in particular's design is lifted almost wholesale from G Gundams equivalent Gundam, which it has 
even has extending mm. dragon arms and fire breath weapons. And maybe like, and maybe heavy arms is a Russia World War II type thing. Where well, it's just like, you know, overwhelming force sort well, of. Well, I can't help but think of what we learned in episode zero in our, in our history uh, segment where the, 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 the driving factor of the design of the Gundams was not a demand, but like the... The, each Gundam had a particular toyetic feature to it. And, like, when I look at Heavy Arms now, I can't help but think, like, oh, the reason you are the way you are is because they needed something to shoot out of your chest. Yeah. Which is exactly what I was thinking in the scene where he was out of, as, as my partner called them, booby bullets. Um, <laughs> That's good. Uh, um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, Heavy Arms... Color is interesting. Um, I think it's. I you made a really good point about its old style of weapons, but like it, it just so happens like having an obscene amount of them it, it lends some interesting aspects to its design. He's certainly a walking fire hazard. Yeah, <laughs> it's for sure true. Um, and then we have Sandrock, who is like kind of the antithesis of the other two Gundams that we talk about. Uh, Sandrock has a very straightforward design that you know. Um, do you think the shoulders are meant to invoke angel wings? Is that what is meant to be visually represented by the sort of... Because, I, I, you know, without... Obviously, a, a later Gundam will invoke that imagery more directly, but... Um, I think was, so. It is it's something that, uh, you know, occurred to me about... In this question of, like, how do the Gundam designs inform us about their pilots? Like, Sandrock has what I would term like a nicer look to it than the other Gundams do like a, a more, I don't want to say approachable, but like approachable look than the other ones do. I think Sandrock kind of has a bird of prey type thing going on. And the reason I say that too, is because I think as a kid and even now, uh, Sandrock's shoulders directly remind me of the, uh, the, the Falcon Zord that the white Ranger uses in power Rangers. Oh yeah. Uh, I think there's a very strong totally. uh, visual similarity between those. Yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, you can even say the scimitars have a sort of like that's what I thought you were going for mm. with like have like a talon sort yeah, of shape yeah. to them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sand Rock was the least we I think we talked about was the least popular of the five, and and as a thirty year old, I, I I like it a lot. Yeah, it's cool. It's pretty cool. It's kind of yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't really have a maybe. It's like. What is it with the weird um, shield weapons that the Gundams have? Because like, he they all have shields, yeah. He, yeah. he like scissors is not the way to put it, but he like crunches the <laughs> it's exactly like, the way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> he crunches the one who is it? Walker. It's, it's Walker. Walker who he gets <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Troa is at this uh, this factory, and he uh, he beats up all the the grunts and gets into a like a like a waltz, like a like a like a fun. A fun dance with with the sand rock right. surrounded by the Maganax. Um, there's a really weird Zex salute transition into this battle that is very like I don't know if it was for you guys, but when I watched this on Hulu, like Zex is like saluting nothing, and then it fades to black, and then it cuts immediately to a battle, and, and I was like, what? Did, did you guys? I don't think I noticed that. I don't think no. I picked up on that either. I'll have to bring, send you guys the time right, code, and, right. and maybe you know afterwards we can yeah, edit. Yeah, see what it looks like. Yeah. Um, and then there's a really weird, uh, not a triple take, but it cuts from uh, the Ares being scissored, Catra uh, <laughs> saying sorry, and then Zex saying like I'm on my way or something, and and none of those have. Like I mean, Zex and Ka- I mean Catra and Walker obviously yeah, yeah, are, are yeah, in a yeah. battle, but then it cuts to Zex saying something unrelated. Um, right. Well, there's a sequence right where where Zex is getting away on the shuttle with Talgies. 
Right, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. That's what he means by, yeah, he's he's on his way away from there with the tall geese in tow. Uh, Katra, in the process of the battle of Troa, decides to leave the cockpit and... This is such a Gundam trope. Like, I, they do this all the time. Uh, oh, the, it's like, oh, you know, you could turn me into a can of blood soda immediately, but I'm going to get out of this mech. <laughs> well, so, I mean... And, blood soda is very good. Yeah. And my, you know, the way I put this in my notes, Katra and Troa are... Just communicating, uh, like because that. of course this is when we get our our theme song here. And I was, and I, was, I guess what we're supposed to take from the theme song at this point is that we have now definitively met our five pilots, and they're starting to, except for Wufei, starting to interact with one another. Um, I, I, I mean, like, is that? A, do you think that's a, yeah, that's a solid like, read? No, the, I, I think it's the read. Yeah. Um, do you want to pause for a moment on Talgies? Yeah, yeah, let's talk, you know, since we're in, I, I wanted to, to save the conversation with Tall Geese until we got, like, I think we're, I mean, I, I imagine when we get a fight with Tall Geese, it's, I mean, right, we'll we can I, dive that's, into that's it. That's what I was going to say, like, you know, obviously, like, I guess it's it's not really a spoiler that this, this mech that we saw called Tall Geese will come back, I, I, you know, I have words, I, 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 yeah, we'll talk about it later, Um, Although but we, I think, yeah, we do get to my, my Kazaa downloaded clip. Yes, uh, yes. Where, where, yeah, it's the, uh, when, when Hero resets his leg. Yeah, his broken leg and toes yeah. is rightfully disgusted. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, you can't do that. You can't do this, the ultimate boy. So I wanted to, since we're, we're rounding out on yep. episode three, the five Gundams confirmed, 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 confirmed. I wanted to touch on what, a couple of things that we mentioned. Did we want to award, uh, uh for each period that we watch, I think we're going to see an escalation of of extraness. Mm. I think this is just going to keep rising. Do we want to award per for per pod who we think is the most extra? I think that is probably the most important uh, power ranking that we could be doing. Yeah, I, I think that that's going to be the thing we're we're going to be running across the most often is is who who when and when I say extra here, what I, what I mean is like whose behavior is the most outrageous or who's who sticks out in your head the most, or who did something so bizarre <laughs> that you just have to highlight it? And uh, you know, this first three episode period, I think, is an unfair one. I, I think that the, the means heavily hero in my mind. Yeah, I think hero in this first three episodes, like without a doubt, he has the invitation, which like maybe weighs him in, in his favor. Yeah, it blows for, everything out of the water for the entirety of the show. It, it's like it, it's hard to top that. Um, the, the, the riding the torpedoes, like the, the hopping on the torpedoes to ride them. Uh, and, and, you know, I think what defeats him in episode three is duo's umbrella. I think, <laughs> I think duo's unexplained jet, jet ride umbrella is like the most extra moment. Um, but it's hard to say it's, and I, I think in this first episode period, I would give it to, to hero. Yeah. I think hero is just outrageous yeah i think for i don't know i think for me i'm i i do acknowledge all the 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 tech supporting the hero argument uh i i do just want to recount how good relina's extraness is oh, that, it's it's close um, it, you know i mean she you know like think think of all the things i mean obviously she's being kind of a, a, a mally teenager but also she doesn't just she's not one note right like right. when her dad leaves the birthday party she's like oh no i understand i am <laughs> a grown up like now. i'm a grown-up yeah, now no, totally uh, you know, but she still acts like a disobedient teenager in front of Major Sally. Uh, you know, she go, she just takes the the chauffeur and leaves the birthday party. Uh, you know, there's just so many uh, moments. I you know, I just really want to. That's uh, a really fair root point, for Relina. 
I, honestly, I think that there's a real argument for the both of them yeah. in, in this first right. three episodes, for sure. Um, I think we'll, you know that, that rounds up our, our episode summary and discussion. Uh, why don't we transition into uh, one of our favorite features, yes. uh, Mecha, according to our partners. Uh, last time we, we discussed the, the Wing Gundam, the titular Wing Gundam. Uh, Golden Bird? Gold Bird? Gold Bird. Uh, Gold Bird is what we landed on. I My think. favorite syndicated CW show. <laughs> yeah, right? The Gold Birds. The Gold Birds. Um, so I thought since in these two episodes we were introduced to the Death Scythe and the Heavy Arms that we would take care of those two sure. this time around. Uh, does anyone want to start, or should I just go ahead? I'll start. My partner. So originally, for the my wife, when commenting on Wing Zero, said robot scissor hands. I said classic Mega Man boss. Yeah, excellent. She's escalated to Mega Man X bosses now with Sandrock, and it's Eaglebot. Eaglebot. Okay, Which reminds me of Storm Eagle. So, so do we want to? Are we doing all of them now, or are we doing Death Scythe than Heavy Arms? Oh damn! Did I start Sandrock? Yeah. yeah. You did. So, <laughs> so we can do Sandrock. Let's see, because Sandrock was also in tr- yeah. of, yeah. of the three. I forced your hands. I apologize. Yeah. No, no, no. Fair. I'll enough. give a catcher. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. So yeah, why don't we? Um, do we have? Do you have an intro uh, for Sandrock? I do. So uh, you know, uh, my partner kind of threw out uh, two for some of these. So uh, upon seeing Sandrock, her first response was the Almighty. Okay. And then her second response was actually Angel Wings. Oh. Okay. Oh, well, so, yeah. All, all right. right. So then we've got, I think, a winner here because my, my partner arrived. That, that's the reason why I brought up the motif. My partner also referred to the Sandrock as Gundam Angel. Oh. Those are... Okay. Ah, hold on. I'll save that pun for later. So so right. the signifiers are there. Like, yeah. I, I think yeah, it, for sure. It, for sure. If two of the three of us landed on that, and, and even um, Almighty... Yeah. Well, no, his was Almighty. Oh, Almighty. Almighty. Eaglebot. Yeah. Eaglebot. Right. Still, we're talking about wings, wings and yeah, feathers yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why don't we, and, and, and I'll start us off with uh, Death Scythe, uh, Duo's Gundam. Speaking of signifiers, uh, my partner also picked up on uh, the the weapons being the one of the main things and showed, she went with Gundam Dark S. Which, which no, you know, pretty much correct. Pretty much correct. Seems good to me. Thunder and Lightning Man commenting that the mech looks cranky. <laughs> Without any context about duo. Thunder that that's excellent. That's so Thunder for, and Lightning Man. For me, the first response was pretty pretty normal. Uh Grim Reaper. Sure, pretty sure. Standard. Yeah. I'm a very big fan of the second one that she gave for Death Scythe, which was Dark Slasher. <laughs> So there you go. Again, we're, we're like two for two on... A, like, Sounds like a third-tier Marvel comic right? character. Yeah, the, the Dark, Dark Slasher. Slasher. My, well, my new new uh, Netflix uh, Marvel show. <laughs> well, like, you know, on that, you know, I, that's, this is perhaps too nerdy, but there really is a DC character uh, <laughs> called... Uh, oh, God, what is he called? Um, the like He's like the Grim Skier or something like that. And uh, he's part of uh, the New Gods. Like the... the anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I like Dark S, Dark Slasher. Um, uh, <laughs> Mr. Thunder, Thunder and Lightning, Lightning Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's pretty Lightning good. <laughs> I think that's what I'm going to call Duo. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, so, you know, I also picked up Heavy Arms for this, and since we're introduced to Heavy yeah, Arms, we'll, might as well, we'll, we'll round we'll it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I guess I started for Death Scythe, and you started for Sandrock, All so right. why don't you start us off? So, for Heavy Arms, uh, we got two, and they're both really good. Uh, her first one was Pretty Boy. <laughs> okay. The Mac or Tra? The Mac. All right. And then... The, the, I, Interesting. The other one was The Flamingo. <laughs> 
right. it's not bad. That, yeah. I like both of those. I, I'll go ahead and keep us going. Um, uh, my partner was not as keen on heavy arms. Uh, did not think he was a pretty boy. Uh, I have in parentheses here, ugly, not nice. <laughs> and the name she came up with, which I thought was a fair shake, was Buster Gundam. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think Buster Gundam is a different. Mm-hmm. I think there is a Buster Gundam, but yeah, I think that's a fair shake. My uh, partner came dangerously close to the mark. Heavy wow. artillery. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I no, mean, that's, that's, a, that's, yes. If we're talking about signifiers, which the Gundam Wing Gundams have the biggest ones, like the the main thing your your eye is brought to is the fact that he's got a big Gatling gun. Um, yeah. I mean, the it just goes to show, and I think this is going to get more interesting when we, we talk about shows that aren't as stylized. Um, you know, it, it just goes to show how successful they were in creating this set, uh, and how close are, are, you know, partners who are otherwise, you know, I asked my, my girlfriend for all of these before we started watching. Um, so obviously you, you get used to, I mean, I even have, and I figured we could save it and divvy these out. I have yeah. some for some of the Oz. Yeah, so uh, I, I, we, we had started collecting so in the future weeks. D- don't worry, folks. This segment does not go away no. after we finish up the main the main five. No. We, we will have more. Yes. Um, so I, I think that concludes our discussion of the first three episodes of Gundam Wing. Uh, let's let's put a cap on it. What did you guys think of these first three episodes? Like Just off the top of the dome, what, what was your take? On separate from watching this for a podcast, what what was your personal opinion? Visually and orally, it's a treat. The but, shenanigans are fun. Yeah, without that, it's a fucking slog. Right. Other, other without those things, I mean, without without being so over the top and being visually a treat, it would be bad. Yes, I okay. Without being like a bummer. Uh, substantively, the show leaves a lot to be desired, at least from from the, these first three episodes. But I mean, hey, you know, there's a lot of time for this to, to pick up. But it's so much fun to watch. It's fun. It's fun yeah. to talk about with you guys too. Yeah, it, it's the discussion afterwards is really what I look forward to when I see some of this stuff. I, I I'm ready for the show to become less moment to moment entertaining. Like that's where it's going to be. If you cut out the excess, you have a fun show, which is what the three episode OVA endless waltz is. That's Gundam wing at its peak. That's why it's remembered so fondly. I, I, I mean, one of the things it's, it, you know, I, I hesitate to jump into this so, so early yeah. because it, it like, we really are in the, the beginning steps of the show, but uh, it, it's interesting to me how much Gundam wing endless waltz, like understands better what Gundam wing was than the show i mean but well, we talked about it in episode zero it, it it goes through something of an identity crisis in the middle yeah uh because of the change of of direction um and we'll we'll see what that looks like but well, next- if you like boil it down mathematically if you can cut it if you took three episodes and turned it into one uh gundam wing kai so to speak you'd yeah. have a much better show oh I, I i actually think that's a real good point i you know you could say that for a lot of things but it's it really felt like the 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 way that the, we saw things occur was protracted in a way that was prop, possibly needless. Um, but I didn't I didn't dislike it. Yeah, it's just no. I do think though without the flavor of the madness that it would be more of a slog. Uh, so next week uh, we're going to continue with our uh, three episode dive into Gundam Wing with episodes four, five, and six. Uh, expect that to be around. Around the same length as this one, probably a little bit shorter. We'll be there'll be less uh, uh, introductory, or hopefully some more introductory stuff. Actually, now that I think about it, you know what I hope? I hope that the battle seeds 
sprout into new battles. Into new battles. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, my main hope is that we get more lady characters. Uh, my memory is that we are in. My memory is that you know the episode, the end of the episode right, three. The episode four. I, I remember Noin having a lot more agency than other characters. I could be totally wrong on that. Well, I think Noin and Sally will will enter periods of agency. Um, I believe the next episode is like the most shitting on Noin possible. I think it's a lot of. Uh, like Noin is like, ain't nothing bad gonna happen today, and then the rest of the episode is like, nope. <laughs> but yeah, we'll get to it. Uh, why don't we? Uh, why don't we sign ourselves out? I was your host this week, Ignis Maddox, Stephen Hero. Uh, I am PMC Trilogy. You can find me on Twitch and Twitter at PMC Trilogy. And uh, next week we will be sprouting our battle seeds into further battles. Keep your friends close. Keep your battle seeds closer. <laughs> Jet umbrella.